0: I was sitting at a petrol station last night and was Roscommon and my mother of God, the window got tapped three <laughs> times in ten minutes They are. That mad. was the one lad
1: yeah. <laughs> they're, they're, they're mental about yeah Don't go to rock Subscribe to the GAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember
0: Effortless Shave, Magnificent mode Right, it's bang on half past seven it's Thursday morning Does everybody know that Ireland are playing tonight? It's
2: a very low-key build-up to an Ireland game, isn't it? You'd have almost forgotten. Yeah, I heard it on the radio on the car this morning, and I was like, "Oh yeah, Ireland are playing." Without Halan, I guess some of the lures taken away, but Martin Odegaard is still there. Some decent players in the Norway team, so yeah, they're good. Yeah, and it'd be interesting to see the Irish team as well. Um, I think Stephen Kenny will put out a strong team because at the end of the day, results matter. I know result of a friendly doesn't necessarily matter, but for his tenure, it matters so keep the results coming yeah uh, Dan McDonald's making the point that every game
0: there's a little bit of extra pressure on Stephen Kenny there's also infighting on the board where the chairman of the board has written to the rest of the board and then uh, it leaked complaining about, complaining about the leaks he's like we look like a pub team and I'd say if you send that message out you have a fair idea it's going to get made mm, public yeah and you know um, <laughs> maybe well I'm sure he sent it to everybody to make sure that everybody understands so look, it's an interesting time in Irish football. It is. This game tonight's relatively important,
2: and what forty five thousand on tickets sold? Is it? Is there? Yeah, apparently, uh, which will be really, really good turnout if everyone shows up. Great atmosphere. Yeah, you know, quality. Seven forty five kickoff on a, on a mid week. That's what people want. Under lights. I'm yeah, yeah. Irish sport under lights. We like it. Yeah, I'd, li- I'd like to see them get a win. You know, if they could get a... It's not again. It's not about the result, but if they could beat Norway and beat Malta, all of a sudden we're like, yeah, all right, we're decent.
0: Yeah, and um, then as
2: you keep talking about, you've got to remember who we're playing in the in the group. True. Um, yeah. I, look, the
0: group is going to be interesting. Like some of the best footballers in the world are definitely going to be coming to Dublin, and they won't not show up because it's friendly. They're going to show up because it's qualifier. Mm. So um, I was thinking, do we want France to win this and kind of have a mad hangover? So that like, what what more mountains are there for them to climb?
2: Yeah, I just I can't see France winning the World Cup in any uh. in any world
0: oh we were talking Ben Jacobs earlier in the week and he listed off all their defenders you're like well that's pretty good too many cooks spoil the broth yeah so the, the young midfielders need to come forward and establish themselves as like proper successors to N'Golo Kante mm. maybe, yeah of course maybe they'll be able to do that maybe they won't I don't know but then they do have Mbappe so you can bore your way to 1-0 the whole way through and win yeah. the World Cup it, many teams have done that
2: a lot of people, I was speaking to a couple of people last night who thought England were maybe being underappreciated heading into this World Cup that maybe they could do something I don't subscribe to that theory whatsoever I don't think they'll do much what's, um, what's, what's not much well like I think they'll they'll struggle against both the USA and Wales in the group I'm not saying they won't get the results needed to, to progress to the last 16 but I think they'll struggle like
0: nil all nil all one nil Eventually, but that's enough to go through that's five points yeah they'll beat
2: Iran um, in the first game but and that's the way it's worked out for them nicely having Iran a bit of momentum get the first win on under your belt but I can't see them doing much Like, will they get to a quarter final I don't think so like well that's a shocking failure if they don't that would be a failure yeah c- of course it would um i can just foresee some sort of english shock result like uh, not maybe an, not as big a shock or as seismic a shock as iceland in the euros in 2016 but something to that effect like i can't they, they don't have a better team than denmark for example uh, they do do you think so i think denmark would beat them this on this occasion they like they lost narrowly at wembley in the semi-finals in the euros last time out, but I, I just think if Denmark come up against England in this World Cup, not in Wembley, Denmark will beat them. Now I don't know what the how the the draw uh, looks. They they'll obviously ultimately reach if they if they both go far. But, but Denmark, I just have a feeling around Brazil. I think will probably win the tournament. I think
0: the bench that England have is is really good if he uses it properly, and I do think there's. Potentially, so uh, look uh, England in tournaments have frequently gone in with a plan, and then they 've got punched in the mouth and then uh-huh. they changed the plan, and the change results in something significantly better, so I think there's a possibility that they end up with a diamond at some point and making use of their best players in their best positions, yeah, you know and i I, I think that like it 's mad that they haven 't really tried to go back to a back four or something that allows more of their good attacking players in the side as opposed to. No. Piling up the defense with bad players. Well, you know, strategically, I have all these bad players. I'll have more of them in the team. <laughs> I have all these good players. I'll have less of them in the team. Mm. You know, I understand balance and you know all that and
2: creation of space and uh, what have you. Uh, not- to be honest, my argument of England not doing well is probably based on those bad players not playing well. Like there is a, a universe in which Harry Maguire don't pl- put them in the team pl- plays the lights out though. Yeah, or, or like reaches his, his level. Well, yeah, of course, which which probably isn't fantastic at the minute, but yeah, I think they should get more of those players into the team, like like the likes of Callum Wilson in previous tournaments mightn't have got too much game time uh, for England, but like, why can't you play him? Some like try him out, try him out one of the games. It's late now, late, it's to be, it's late to be trying stuff. It's confidence, isn't it, for strikers especially if if he's scoring goals, which he has been. Throw him into the team. Yeah, I, although you're taking Harry Kane out because well, yeah, yeah. Are they
0: playing together? Maybe, 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 and you go old school with wingers and. Lump the crosses in and see what happens. Try some diff- something different. You know, it's n- not very modern, but um, who knows? Mm. I do wonder. I do wonder what people want from Ireland tonight. I do wonder what um, the Kenny doubters and haters want to see happen tonight. And I do wonder what the the um, here on Kenny FM.
2: I wonder what we what we're supposed to look for.
0: <laughs> Anybody? I didn't get this week's memo about no. what, what I was supposed
2: to. No, I didn't get the letter. Um, yeah, the, I, I, I honestly believe a lot of the Kenny haters at this stage just want him to fail miserably. Like. Almost, almost hoping that the team loses. And there's a lot of Kenny haters out there who would be in the comments straight away saying, I don't know, I would never hope that the team loses. But wow. secretly, I think a lot of people have an agenda. They want them out. Um, and they're only friendly games. So if you're going to lose games without too much jeopardy, I guess it's these ones. So I don't know. I I, I hope for the team's sake he gets a win. Because I'm excited about this team still. Here goes Kenny FM text. But I just think that... When you look at the team on paper now, it's actually a lot better than it was three
0: years ago. Well, they've got a lot of more caps and they've got a fluency around what they're trying to do, and you kind of see the ambition that they have. So let's wait and see exactly what it is that um, that happens tonight. There's some talk of Evan Ferguson potentially getting some game time. Is that
2: yeah, or is it is it mooted? I saw in the back of the papers today they were talking about. Well, he he probably won't start tonight, but there is a there is a distinct chance he'll either come off the bench tonight or on Sunday against Malta. But just looking like Robbie Keane, as as was pointed out in the papers youngest Irish goal scorer in 1998 uh, against Malta ironically in uh, aged 18 years and 98 days so Evan Ferguson tonight is 18 years and 29 days and on Sunday is 18 years and 32 days so wouldn't it be nice if he did it on Sunday against Malta off the bench Robbie Keane breaking his record against the exact same opposition uh, apparently he's been playing unbelievably well in training this week Evan Ferguson Um maybe not enough to, to be starting but look he's, he's uncapped so give him a bit of time Um but I just am fascinated to see what he can do. He he feels he feels like a player because he's a Premier League experience. Feels like a player who can be just thrown in. He like this is a level at which he is going to be more than comfortable of. Um, so yeah, Stephen Kennedy loves him, and uh, apparently training wise, straight in there. Yeah, might be interesting to
0: see what a season of the championship would do for him at this yeah. stage as well. Um I don't know it's always it's that same conversation we've been having about Cuevin Kelleher as well mm. about the benefits of actually getting some game time or not the other big news that happened in the last 24 hours which I have to say was a bit of a bombshell was that Michael Murphy has announced his retirement from inter-county football at the age of just 33 mm. now Michael Murphy's 33 is probably a little bit older in terms of body and miles on the clock than most people given that uh, he was basically in the team since he was 18 and one of their most important players since he was 18 yeah, and also a target for every hard man defender in every club match he's ever played and in every county match he's ever played he would have been targeted by the opposition's strongest man toughest marker biggest gouger we've seen we've seen the type of treatment that was meted out to him by opposition defenders and um, you know so I think the injuries probably had begun to take a toll which is terrible because I still think he's one of the most exciting brilliant footballers to watch when he's in full flow. I think somebody, um, somebody put the video out yesterday of his goal in the Ireland final, mm-hmm. and they were like, here's every Michael Murphy goal. And it was just that one, right? Uh-huh. Where it's like super soaring over
2: brilliant players, pulling it down, whacking it into the back of the net. <laughs> he, was <clears> the best, <throat> he was the best at that. Like, I know the word generational is probably used more than once in a generation, but like he is one of those players, if you could, if you could sculpt a number 14 in a lab... Michael Murphy was probably it. Like, I know that a lot of people think he should be mid- midfield for Donegal over the years, but he was he was just an un- unbelievable full forward. Well, like, you know, uh, the, the quality of midfielder he was
0: was very high, mm-hmm. but the quality of inside forward he was was off the charts. And it's just that <clears throat> they didn't have a team good enough to be able to just play him in one position. And again, that's one of those things where it's like, if he played 14 in every match for every minute of every match... Yeah. you'd be like wow that was the greatest forward of all
2: time yeah and he's one of those lads who you know in the dressing room from a young age seemed like he was one of the leaders like I think Ian McGee pointed out he was playing championship at 17 which just isn't allowed anymore won an, an Ulster title at 22 Sam at 23 he was captain in Donegal from 2011 like just one of those lads and by the way sponsoring the Donegal Club Championship from his mid-twenties like, which has just <clears throat> been I, I definitely
0: remember watching um, a game on Satanta one Saturday or Sunday when they were starting up the um, doing their version of the club and the broadcast was sponsored by Michael Murphy Sports and I'm fairly sure it was a county semi-final or final and he was man of the match <laughs> which was sponsored by Michael Murphy so <laughs> Michael Murphy was the man of the match in the Michael Murphy Championship yeah. on the broadcast sponsored by uh, you
2: know it's like well wow. I think I think Brendan Daveney pointed out once you know this debate is, is he Donegal's greatest player ever, and Deveni said if you cut him in half, he 'd be number one and two, yeah, like he 's just one of those, and by the way, three all stars like it seems a crying shame because that that 's nowhere near as many all stars as he should have got yeah, and uh, the other thing with this right, and
0: uh, like I know Carl Lacey was sensational the year; they won the All Ireland, but I think that Michael Murphy was probably the footballer of the yeah. year it 's yeah. like yeah you know, Lacey was sensational. But there is kind of that these awards at the end of someone's career, you're like oh, that was a bit of an oversight, wasn't it? Yeah, it's yeah, only it's, when you look back. Kind of, we just assumed that we had plenty of opportunity to give
2: him the award again because, like, they're going to win another one. But yeah. it, it, he, young footballer of the year in o nine at least he got one of those honors. But I mean, yeah, he probably should have been in 2012. <coughs> Not to take it off Carl Lacey, but I mean, some of the scores that have been doing the rounds on on social media since, like, even there the the point against or for DCU in the Sigerson where he. Dummies Rory Carolyn just kicks the ball over his head and then with the outside of his right foot just kicks it. it was just ridiculous. Something you wouldn't even try think of trying. Uh and obviously the goal for for Donegal. Even the, <coughs> the famous Kevin Cassidy point against your uncle there in twenty fourteen, like there was the the moment you'd almost forget that Murphy wins the ball on the on the sideline, you know, twenty seconds beforehand, it somehow keeps the ball in play, c- keeps it past a couple of Kildare defenders and manages to recycle the ball. I think he'd been badly injured in that game, if memory serves. That we were like,
0: oh, it's great, Murphy's injured, we're going to win this now. And (laughs) then they just kept him on and it went in like, that's deep, that's like the last seconds of extra time. Yeah. And a game that has been absolutely frantic and that was like the McGeany levels of Kildare fitness that Kildare had. That's right. Um, I'm fairly sure, like, he was pretty much on one leg and was still able to do something that was critical. At the last second. Yeah, literally after so, so now, many I might minutes. be wrong about that, maybe somebody will correct me, but I'm fairly
2: certain that, like, you know, again, he'd been banged
0: up. Yeah, And yeah. it's like, well, you've got to go again next week
2: because like we've got you, nobody else. Yeah. And he was banged up, as you said, <coughs> the, um, he was a target. And, and like, McGee says, points out to him, and McGee says that he, like, he's a good friend of his, he speaks to him quite often, and he was very surprised by the news. So clearly it hadn't been really mooted in Donegal. Now, he did apparently talk to the, to the players in the dressing room after the... Um, the Ulster final, I guess it was, in Clonus or no, it would have been the Armagh qualifier, um, where he said, you know, no matter what happens from now on, Donegal will always go on. So it was kind of, those were words maybe that were were kind of hinting at at the way he was thinking, Michael Murphy. But um, there was a great story from from Gord Manning in in the Irish Times as well today where he talks about Michael Murphy's character. And he said he was named um, Man of the Match by TG Carr in Donegal's win over Tyrone. This was uh, late May of last year. Finished the interview... And then he walked towards the cameraman, who's Brendan O'Donnell, and Brendan's brother Michael Jack O'Donnell. A lot of people in Donegal will be familiar with Michael Jack, well-known photographer. He had passed away at the start of May, so that earlier that month of May, twenty twenty-one. Michael Murphy got to know him over the years. I saw him tweeting about him even around that time as well. But he uh, he just walked over to Brendan, the the brother, uh, who was the cameraman for tg Car that day, handed him the Man of the Match award and said it was for his brother. And I just little. Things like that that you're like right. These stories nearly only come out when a player has has retired. But he was a, he was incredible. Is an incredible man as well as a, a footballer. So probably Dunny Gall's greatest ever footballer, I'd say.
0: Mark Dunning says Murphy didn't even start that night versus Kildare He came on as a sub after approximately 25 minutes. So obviously he was carrying yes. an injury. And yeah. then you know at the very end of the game, he was still able to do something. Um, King Johnson sent us a lot of stuff before we came on air. 177 appearances for Johnny Gall. 77 championship in 16 seasons. Five Ulster titles and an All Ireland. Before he made his debut in 2007, how many ultra titles do you think totally got a won in their entire history? Ooh. Five ultra titles and one All-Ireland. Right. Exactly the same. Right, right. So, I mean, maybe it's a coincidence Michael Murphy. Are, okay, fair enough. They obviously. <laughs> McGuinness arrived and um, they came and they stole and um, they did, you know, change the game. But, like. Uh, I'd say McGuinness was inspired to get involved by like okay it's a good crop coming yeah. give me that guy <laughs> like people forget too that Murphy missed the penalty against the Dubs in the under 21 um, yeah that was not in a final was that Parnell Park uh, that would have won the game so like you know and I'd say that disappointment burned mm. absolutely burned to the point where they were like Pfft. I still think the best game of football I've ever been at was Donegal beating Dublin because that was the swashbuckling Dublin where yeah um, Paul Flynn was like we thought we were going to save football you know because they were like well it's grim up north someone has to play good attacking football and the attacking football that was played the first half that day mm. was off the charts like it was himself Flynn and Carly were kicking points from the 40 like metronomes <laughs> uh, off either side and he thought this is absolutely unstoppable and then all of a sudden Tony are back in the game and like it looks like, rudimentary, it's long ball, but they were like, oh, we knew exactly their half-back line would push up, and if we just put a runner in behind... was a plan. And so, I mean, the fact that all the goals look exactly the same, like they're templated, uh, was sensational. And then it turns out that, you know, after the, the previous game, McGuinness had put a dossier down on the table and said, this is how we're going to beat the Dubs, I've been working on it for months. And I was like, what? This is amazing.
2: Here we go, yeah. The start of something special. And like, I don't think that's a coincidence, those stats you, you, you reeled off, the fact that you know he won so... Donegal won so much when he was there, because. Glenn his club, um, like they hadn't achieved much. So, uh,
0: Glenswilly, who were for a long time Donegal Junior and Intermediate Championship with Murphy on board, have won three senior titles.
2: Right, well, there you go. That's not a coincidence. Like
0: one of Sigers and Captain Donegal at twenty-one, captain the international
2: rules team twice. Uh, there you go. A man born to, like he, he could have had a career in Australia as well, like quite comfortably. Uh, someone who can kick the ball like him and feel the ball like him, like Michael Murphy he could and I'm sure he was approached over the years a number of times to to go off to Oz but um, Donegal was important to him and and being captain of Donegal I think from 2011 was was hugely important to him and that's a point that's been made in the papers this morning as well that being captain in in some counties isn't a massive deal it's not really there's not much made of it but in Donegal it's a big deal Like whoever's picked as captain is yeah it's not not, definitely not appointed by the clubs and it's not somebody who's just on the
0: team in the first year yeah Um, If we'd won Ulster and the All-Ireland, or if we were put out in the first round, I had a feeling this year would be my last. What's required to represent Donegal for me is just full-on energy, the best energy you can possibly give it. I'm content to say I have the best for every single minute, and now I just struggle to see where I can get the energy to go on. To do everything that's required to get your body perfect, your strength and conditioning to get to play at the highest level, the energy has to be there. I was so fortunate, really, to have got so long. I'm full duck or no dinner type of guy, and I've been doing it all. I can't go through a season unless I'm like that people say you can manage your body in a way to get around that but I can't I have to be all in your Monday, Wednesday, Friday gym has to be there as does your
2: Tuesday Thursday weekend training you know when you put it like that Fair, Fair enough and he is like 33 you say is relatively young for a player to retire but but yeah he's done what 15 years 16 years at the at the top with Gold since 07 like, he's given enough and because he's one of those players it's like a quarterback your know, career doesn't maybe go as long because they're, they're going to get hits he is one of those players who was pinpointed and targeted. Like the only, I remember the three Ulster finals in a row where where and Donegal played in twenty thirteen, fourteen, and fifteen. The only player I've ever seen like have able to nearly control Murphy in in any capacity was Vinnie Corey, and they had some serious battles across the across the years. Uh, I think Michael Murphy will probably say similar. But how like how do you mark someone like Michael Murphy? You just you can't really. Yeah, like you just you can control them to an extent and maybe keep him to a, a score or two mostly, but he was just a powerhouse and uh, you know someone who can catch a ball in the air like that and pluck it out of the skies is just impossible to mark good news for the rest of Ulster oh it's 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 massive news yeah. and that that's why it's such a surprise because he's he was still able to play at that level i i you know I, he's making the point it's it's so hard to feel like you're going to be able to do justice yourself and
0: i can totally understand that as well i'd say if you're the incoming Donegal ticket, you're like, well, wow, we could have definitely, you know, put you on for a while. <coughs> That's 25 minutes on the edge of the square. Yeah, full forward only, no running needed. Honestly, right. we won't ask you to track back. You don't even need to. You don't even
2: need to do one of those uh, tackles. You know, just if you're if you're Paddy Carr and did no work, you're fairly gutted at this news. That's, That's a bombshell for them, all right. That yeah. is that is gutted. Like, you know, Donegal trying to prepare for a Division One campaign next year and into the Ulster Championship the heat of battle um, someone needs to step up and replace him but don't he got all of good young forwards coming through um, maybe no one in the mould of, of Michael Murphy or exactly that type of player uh, because no one was like him and uh, he, as I said he was generational he was a powerhouse just uh, one of those players that anytime my own county was playing up, up against him up in Clonus or in a league game you were concerned and he was the first name you looked at in the team sheet the opposition team sheet because you are like this is this is the guy that could win the game For like if he doesn't have a good game you fancy your chances, and if he has a good game, you're you're screwed essentially. So, what a player!
0: Yeah, it's uh, seven forty nine this morning. Uh, Mark Dunning says, as an Arsenal fan, all I want this evening is no injury for Odegaard. Putting putting club before country. Not oh, good. Uh, the J Mac podcast says, morning, Gent's football as well. It's about time. Piers Morgan interviewed Michael Murphy, the best Dunning All player ever. Twenty twelve All Ireland final goal, a highlight. Um, and Mark Dunning as I've already said he didn't start that night against Kildare mm. uh, three all-stars Ulster football is tough you ain't getting to Croke Park every year says so Danny Mac it's true it is true like if you can pad out your stats by you know playing Division 4 teams uh, for the first three rounds and then you know, finding yourself already in a Leinster final say like some other teams managed to yeah,
2: that sounds
0: pointed you know, by it's a Man. almost as if the uh, provincial system is completely broken and absolute bullshit and we never really got the opportunity to see the best of some of the best players in the country yeah that, and, kinda... it's almost as if we had an opportunity to fix that and then just decided no we're going to stick with this system because it's what we know and what we like and we're scared mm. of change
2: so should the all stars be weighted
0: yeah every time you play against a division 1 team you should get super bonus points and every time you play against a division 4 team you get deducted points like you should score 12 points in a game against a division 4 team if you're like a unstoppable juggernaut
2: mm. right like, yeah that's fair
0: well done okay you're at, yeah, that's par Right, yeah. if, you're, if you're a free taker, for example, it should be seven
2: to nine points as par. You're not getting, but if you score fifteen, we're like, okay, well, it's fifteen,
0: that's pretty good. Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah,
2: yeah, and, yeah, hundred percent. And and I think all stars should go to players who make the game look easy. And and Murphy made the game look easy, like his even his gait and the way he ran um, seemed so laid back, almost like he's moving in slow motion, but and then the ball as well when, when he's holding the ball in his hands before he takes a free the ball looks miniature it it looks goes, like a size 3 or goes, size 4 yeah, that's, um, that's why I'm fairly sure that um, the LeBron James comparisons
0: didn't start here I'm fairly sure Keith Duggan was the first person I ever read to, to make it but like Owen did not agree but I, I thought that like somebody who is uh, belched onto the national sporting consciousness at the age of 17 and then fulfills everything you're supposed to do mm. and is a community leader and still performs at a very very high level yeah, you know, maybe and he's gone out before LeBron did when not having this like LA Lakers yeah. uh, last bit where everybody's like, well, LeBron used to be good, didn't he? We, we didn't imagine that. <laughs> so maybe 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 he's doing the right thing. <clears throat> if you've got a view on this, 0879-180-180 is the WhatsApp number. Only Mitten is gonna join us at ten past nine to uh, talk us through the little maze that Manchester United find themselves in at the moment with regards to, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo. <clears throat> the legal perspective on what they're gonna be able to do what they want to do, and who might be interested in taking Cristiano Ronaldo off their hands. Paul Carfrey is going to join us um, to talk about the other news that happened yesterday, which is the confirmation that Pacquiao Roy is involved at some level with the Dublin footballers. Uh, Jamie Heaslip has been speaking ahead of the game against Australia. Matt Williams is going to give us uh, some thoughts uh, on both sides about what we can expect from this Australian side, who were absolutely sensational against France, by the way. Don't be lulled into a false sense of security because... Italy beat them at the weekend they were amazing in that game against the French um, and that is the show for you this morning I'm uh, going to run you through what's in the sports pages front page of the examiner I think it's uh, kind of appropriate and uh, kind of in keeping with what Shane was saying no more to give don't Idle Murphy calls it quits and um, I don't know what game that is but uh, it looks like it's an Ulster Championship game surrounded by his people you know uh, definitely a man of his people Haaland Uh this isn't uh, anything that you might be with your dirty mind thinking. Missing superstar Rob's a viva friendly of lustre. Um, and then there's an interview with Noel Mooney or talking about him. Noel Mooney's going to handle um, the situation with Wales. Lions rejection is still driving Sexton on. That's the story that's carried in all the papers today. Mm. I'll get to it in the Irish Times in just a moment. Back page of the star this morning. Fergie time for Kenny. Evan Ferguson can rewrite the history books tonight by knocking Robbie Keane off his perch. Or against Malta at the weekend. Uh, Hurlers tried to coax Lee. Emerging Dublin footballer Lee Gannon has rejected an approach from Michal Donahue to join the hurling squad. He was part of the previous setup under Matty Kenny in twenty nineteen, but has since become exclusively a footballer at intercounty level anyway. And um Yeah, so that would have been interesting to see if Mihal Donahue could have coaxed some mm-hmm. of those uh, And then
2: he came into the Dublin panel as well of course the year after. Gilroy left, Packyloy left, so. The Dubs all feel like um, they still obviously have a chance of winning in Ireland stopping Kerry getting mm.
0: a, a dynasty built up that's why they're all sticking around instead of joining the Hurlers Yeah,
2: motivation's there
0: uh, Done with that uh, Murphy calls time on brilliant career that's him looking fairly pensive um, I suspect after a defeat there and Amy McGee players nearly a decade older hung on his every word I think that's the point you were making as well about just the, the leadership from early on. Because he's not a man of many words, but um, Tony charged over betting. So this, I mean, uh, Ivan Tony says this wasn't the reason he wasn't called into the um, uh, England squad uh, for Qatar. But he's been charged with 232 alleged breaches of betting rules. And it dates from 2017 to 2011. If found guilty, he can be fined. Or if it's more serious, um Trippi, I remember, was banned for... 10 games, sorry, 10 weeks in December 2020. Wasn't was like about. Trippie was telling his mates about where he was going and then the mates placed a bet. So, yeah. That didn't. I thought Kieran Trippy was. If that was all it was, and that certainly is, as far as uh, memory serves, that's what came out at the time. This could be, well, be more serious for that. Um, and no way back for Ronaldo. The players at Manchester United apparently off the record said, well, I think it might be difficult for Cristiano to come back and mm. play with again. Given that, like, you know, Stormed off, didn't
2: come on, gave out to everybody, told the whole world he thinks we're pretty shit. Petulant child. He only has a certain number of friends in that United dressing room, I would say. Like Diogo Dalo, uh, we all know is one of his very good friends. He actually goes to his house for dinner. He's one of the, the really good friends of Cristiano Ronaldo in that United squad. There's probably others as well, but you see the body language of Bruno Fernandes the other day and you're like, well... Just Wasn't that? Well, well, yeah, but well,
0: didn't the story emerge about that? That um well, that it was about something else. Yeah, <sighs> that like, oh you bit slow to get here? do you on the boat?
2: And then it's didn't look like that kind of a.
0: I think you can't you can't judge too much from the the, the change rooms. I don't Maybe think, like, without sound, you know. Where I I think we're reading far too much into, I don't I think you think so. I think.
2: That was a Portuguese person trying to play it down because Portugal are at the World Cup and they're like oh they're, they're only talking about flights and let's not let's not uh, make sure sh- sh- let's make sure there are no ructions maybe, in the Portuguese maybe, camp
0: maybe Bruno knows he ain't getting picked at this. Uh, uh, maybe he's not getting picked in every game for Portugal because like <clears throat> they have been better when he hasn't been playing over the qualifying group now maybe, that, uh, maybe it's different maybe his form is so good you can't leave him out of the team
2: Ronaldo's double take and the stare at Bruno and Bruno's little turnaround afterwards and well, whatever they were saying to each other was frosty. And it would, it would seem quite obvious. That, that would be the first time that Bruno had bumped into Ronaldo since the...
0: Was it, though? Like, like literally the first time? There's cameras on them, very first second. Are they not, like, were they not at a hotel together before they got to the changing room? like what? They're, going, they're getting straight off planes and going straight to a changing room. They haven't, we haven't seen each other. There's been no breakfast. There's been no lunch. There's been no dinner. There's been no bus trip. Like, are we sure that this is the first time they've seen each other? Or it's just, like, bad hashtag bans?
2: In the we'll dressing like, room. We'll I think that we're like... Who we knows quite honest, the interviewee? I think he'll have to be asked and he will be asked.
0: We're uh, disappearing up our own holes with this, I think. <laughs> or in danger of it. I love it though. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, so, the Irish Times, Lions mission still stoking fires of fiercely competitive Sexton. So, Sexton thinks, maybe this might not be the end of the World Cup. And you're like, well, I mean, you are playing pretty well. This is not the LeBron James situation. Mm. This is a... Man playing at the
2: absolute peak of his powers. Why would it be the end? You know, if, if he continues, as he says, to play like this until the World Cup and gets to play in the World Cup and all is good after thereafter, why wouldn't he keep playing? Was it Andy Dunn
0: or who was it in the aftermath of the game at the weekend was talking about the difference between... You're, you're not comparing oranges with oranges where it's like he's had thousands and thousands and thousands of repetitions. It wasn't Andy Dunn, it was somebody else. Um, oh, it might have been... It might have been Hieslip to you later on, is Oh, it? yeah, Jimmy, yeah, yeah, yeah. Talking about Sexton. Yeah, because yeah, 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 yeah. It, um, it was 09 that he comes into the Leinster team, yeah. like replacing Felipe Contepomi, who was brilliant, right? Yeah. Uh, in, the, in the final and, like, kicks all his goals to win the competition nervously, right? <laughs> and um, since then, he's been coming up against the best defenders and the best defences in the world. And he's, like, he's seen these pictures thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of times, so... Yeah that's why he looks so comfortable it's like there's very little that any defence could do now that he has not somehow at some point either already seen or gone through in his head going this is what's going to happen when uh, you know miraculously a winger suddenly appears out of nowhere to smash me mm. I'm like okay I've seen that um, and so maybe, I don't know it would be it would be like ridiculous
2: if he managed to continue on after the World Cup it'd be and there's so many ifs some buts between now and then but well that's the point I still think he could like anyone who's surprised by this news. Oh, would Sexton really continue? I don't think anyone's really surprised because he's at the level. He's is he at the peak of his powers? If he's not, he's not far off. Well, he's just been nominated for World Player of the Year. Yeah, I mean, he's not far off. No, <laughs> and like which is quite remarkable at his age. Um, you know, if he keeps playing like this until the World Cup and and drives Ireland to a to a semi final or final or or more, then um, I think the debate. It's like Ronnie O'Sullivan winning in the seventh world title and equal and Henry. The debate will be over. Johnny Sexton will be, would be going down as Ireland's greatest ever rugby player.
0: Yeah, I, I, look, like, whatever. If that drives him, um, it's in the meantime. Obviously, Irish, Irish rugby needs to do the right thing. And if like if at any point he falls off a cliff, that's unfortunate. But like the way he is going at the moment, it's it is remarkable. So. Mm. Um, uh, there 's also news that the g a and the g p a are edging towards because they 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 kicked the can down the road so there 's been a 's been a very long torturous agreement that has yet to be reached between the g a and the g p a and um you know we were kind of on the verge of strike action last year it seemed. but those talks are now it seems progressing nicely, and I suspect that like they 've got the right deal sorted out, everybody knows roughly how much commercial income they 're going to be making, and so the size of the pie that's being divided is now um in sharp relief, Sexton hinted staying on after World Cup. He's not going to stay, is he? Is he? I mean, is this like a okay? If I if I say this, they might stop
2: asking me about it. Maybe do you know, yeah, maybe like take the attention off it for a bit. Uh, but I don't think he's going to be stopped. Ask he's going to he's going to be asked this question up until the World Cup. Um, if people want to get it out of him. Uh, yeah, I think he he, he can stay. look. It's Johnny Sexton's decision at the end of the day. But in terms of ability to play, he is more than capable of continuing after the World Cup. So it's just a matter of what he wants to do himself. Has to look after his body, of course. He's got family. So there's a, there's a number of decisions. It's not just uh, rugby decisions either. Um, <coughs> the Pacquiao thing, right, so the direct quotes from Lee Gannon were,
0: uh, there was no mention of a coaching capacity or a mindset capacity, whatever it will be. We don't really know yet, but it's still very exciting. Uh, Desi informed us two weeks ago that Pat will be joining up with us so it's really exciting to have another Dublin Stalwart back in with us and hopefully he can just push us on that extra little level what do you think he's going to do because Mickey Whelan was obviously the coach when um, Gilroy was in charge the first time and it seemed like his greatest strength was like uh, well setting discipline uh, setting standards and then also bringing the best out of people and letting them all be better versions of themselves
2: or getting them out of the panel Gilroy's probably probably man, man manager more to, more so than Desi Farrell, potentially. Um, I don't. I. I. I like. I. would say Desi's pretty good at it too. Yeah, of course. But I, I. And so you know, is it performance? Is it kind of the role that's? I. I think. The, I think the mentality role is is one that Gilroy would be brilliant at, and, I, and it's something that a backroom team member should be focusing on. I mean, that the, the manager big enough backroom team and- well of course and but it's such an interesting appointment because when I first when we first heard it we spoke about it on the show a couple of weeks ago, we were like uh, this is interesting N- nothing confirmed obviously yet but uh, mooted and the water it was out there in the waters but uh, and, and then you have to ask yourself what can a backroom team help you win all Ireland? and I think the answer is absolutely yes You know, Talley did it with Tyrone in, in 2003 he helped them so much um, and, and again with Kerry last year backroom teams are, are massively influential nowadays you can't really put a you can't really put a number on it. Like what? How much do they help a team get over the line? But it's a game of inches and, and small margins. So who knows what difference it could have? I mean, Mannion and McCarthy, uh, Mannion and uh, McCarthy coming back in is obviously a bigger deal. It's a big deal, huge deal. It's a big deal. Yeah, and uh, I, I'd just be interested to see how Dublin approach the Division Two campaign next year. We know against Kildare in the opening game, how they how they approach it. Well, obviously of, they
0: weren't great against Armagh in the opening night uh, last well, yeah. year, and, and that was the um, harbinger of doom. Yeah. Um, I I think they'll be pretty happy to like have three or four good performances because next year's championship is going to be completely weird. It's going to be smash mm. and grab once you get out of the the provinces, which are like the ultimate dead rubber and completely pointless again next year. So let's wait and see exactly what happens. Um, uh, oh, such a such a good character, Neymar. I joke with Messi about beating him in the
2: World Cup final. Ah world exclusive Neymar interview this is um, in the Telegraph today which I'd say is you can I think when you, when you watch the Ronaldo 9 documentary that we spoke about in the show yesterday it really it makes, makes you lose even more respect for Neymar because you're like oh you're not Ronaldo at all like whatsoever no even character wise look Neymar's a brilliant footballer but character wise Ronaldo just was on a different stratosphere he's on, like Neymar, and look, maybe it's a nostalgia bias as well and a lot of young people nowadays really, really love Neymar as a footballer But um, and he's only bec- going to become a cult cult hero in Brazil if he wins a World Cup. So, uh, yeah, the pressure's on. But I don't think that the pressure is on any country more so this, this World Cup than, than it is on Brazil, as usual. Uh, McCluskey to Ejad Aki for centre role. This is
0: Keen Tracy's piece uh, about who he thinks is going to be the team for the game at the weekend. He has Hugo Keenan... Mac Hanson, Ring Rose McCluskey in the centre and Jimmy O'Brien on the wing. So O'Brien's getting in ahead of Balakoon. Sexton is starting with Gibson Park. It's Porter, Sheehan and Furlong, first choice front row. Tyke Byrne and James Ryan, first choice second row. Peter Romani, Josh Van der Darris first choice back row. So um, there's no, oh, we're going to ease some people in, we're going to give them some game time. <laughs> it's the last game of the November Internationals. We have basically this one and the Six Nations Mm. and then there's a few meaningless World Cup warmups, which by which it's too late it's too late this is like your second last chance to experiment because we tend not to experiment Uh, sometimes we do against Scotland this time we probably won't because they're in our group we want to smash them and
2: like remind them that this is coming so uh, that's it we're locked in we are locked and loaded yeah because you forget time wise how far away the World Cup is but then game wise it's not far at all you gotta you gotta be playing now, don't you? Like if you're not if you're not getting into the Eddie Farrell reckoning at the minute, you've got a lot of work to do to get into the World Cup uh, World Cup team. So be interesting to see. And Australia coming into town as well on a Saturday evening at eight o'clock. Proper atmosphere. Everyone have been in the boozer all day, no doubt. Uh, like and the Australians love a little underdog tag as well. Like, coming and and getting a little bit of a scalp. And Ireland at the minute, let's face it, is a scalp in the in the rugby world. So Australia would would only love to come here. Dave Rennie and all to to take us down, uh, I think it'll be a quality game. Like, it'll actually be tighter than people think, potentially. Ah, oh, yeah, I, I so don't like, think
0: it's going to be one-sided at all. No. Obviously, Australia were... Sitting, I can't... Like, if you go back and watch 15 minutes of highlights of the game against France, like, France the best team in the world, mm. and Australia were scoring tries from deep inside their own 22
2: length of the field stuff. Well, Florence was, was a little bit more concerning, possibly, for, for the Australians, but... They have so much strength and depth, and and the the team against against Italy wasn't exactly the team that'll play against Ireland either. So um, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to this one and and the chance for some someone to throw the hand up and get themselves involved for the Six Nations. Uh, Ronaldo was just amazed that Bruno stayed in his feet from the contact of a handshake. Cry laughing emoji. Can't argue with that. I mean, he's had a couple of moments in, in recent games, Bruno, where I'm like, yeah, I'd say opposition opposition fans hate him. I like would say Villa fans hated him that day. Um, he's just hard to hard to watch sometimes. I'm not buying this at all. And again, in the comments, someone pointing out the fact that they were potentially talking about apparently Bruno was late and Ronaldo said to him, did you get here by boat? Maybe that is what happened, but it didn't look like that was what was said.
0: Uh, I don't know. Not, like, I don't like... I don't,
2: uh, the body language was fairly intense.
0: Uh, was is, it, not? Is, it, is it never not intense with Ronaldo? Is there ever like a, ha ha I'm joking? I mean, I don't remember. There's like, ha ha ha, I'm laughing, but it's maniac.
2: You but know. We're, hearing, we're hearing that the United players want him out. The, one of the leaders in that United uh, leadership group is Bruno Fernandes. I'd be shocked if he wasn't one of those people. And Bruno Fernandes, it's on. It's in the stats. He doesn't play as well for United when Ronaldo's in the team. He just doesn't. So if, if anyone wants Ronaldo out of Old Trafford, Bruno Fernandes surely does. He's not, he's not mates with them.
0: No, I don't think they're mates. But at the same time, they're about to go into a World Cup where if everything falls their way, they have a chance. Right? Does anybody really want Portugal in a World Cup semi Maybe you do want Portugal in a World Cup semi-final, but there's loads of players there who could just have the three weeks or four
2: weeks of their lives and write themselves into history. Like, was uh, that not why Bruno's annoyed at him? Because he's bringing so much negative attention oh, to the Portuguese camp. No,
0: but no one cares in Portugal about Ronaldo having a fight with people.
2: Players <laughs> have been asked about it in press conferences for Portugal in yeah. the last day or two, no, which but, is detracting.
0: Oh, they were asked questions. Oh, I know, but, but I mean, it's... Oh, they're going to have to, they have to <laughs> answer some things and then
2: they answer them and then it's over and it's like maybe I don't know maybe maybe footballers are particularly sensitive I maybe think they are. are I mean a lot of people want the want the Ronaldo Messi clash of the titans in the, in the World Cup final Portugal-Argentina remains to be seen if it'll happen but um, yeah and, and both of them have not really done themselves justice in the last few years so
0: the uh, Bruce Robbo fan club comment on uh, our YouTube stream is all oh, body language experts there too yeah we are well I mean uh, we're not but the whole point is that it might be a made-up science, and so therefore we can all pretend that we are true. I'm just
2: saying, you know, maybe, maybe people study long and hard, and they know exactly what's going on. You know, it looks fairly obvious to me that the, that it was a fairly awkward encounter. What a- Let's wait and see if they pass the ball to each other. Now. Yeah, what of course. Be, oh,
0: I can't wait. <laughs> what happens if they get a penalty? Who's going to take the penalty?
2: Mm, um, As we see, it's Ronaldo, right? Ronaldo, like, yeah, yeah, unfortunately, at, at international level, it's him. John
0: Claffy says the interview was fairly pathetic, pure fanboy stuff for Morgan. It was like, oh, and interviewing David Clifford
2: that's shocking <laughs> that's shocking someone accused me of that in the Paul Finley comments as well yesterday that you know of course you're going to get accused of that but I think uh, the opening minutes of the Piers Morgan Ronaldo documentary last night or interview whatever you want to call it um, really put me off I watched the first 15 minutes I think it was 45 minutes in total maybe last night but yeah, straight away he's like Piers Morgan's like in his introduction with without Ronaldo in the room uh, you know Cristiano Ronaldo in my opinion the greatest footballer that has ever lived and then when they're starting the interview, Pierce's first question, I think, was, you know, why, why now, why are you doing this interview? And he said, um, Pier- Ronaldo said, "Well, first of all, Pierce, because I love you, I, Pierce, I, I like you." And Pierce said, "I love you too." <laughs> That's essentially what was said. What was
0: the body language like there? Was it, it
2: was like full on. That's like, ah,
0: the first time I've ever seen
2: that too, Eye have contact on the BBC. <laughs> It was full on eye contact, lovey-dovey stuff, um, lots of smiling. Ronaldo licking his lips as he always does uh, to keep the sheen on his lips. So he looks good for the camera. That's my that's my theory about Ronaldo in his interview. Wow, you've he's thought, constantly you've licking his lips. Thought
0: a lot about this. Yeah, uh, so. Wouldn't the body language experts tell you that that's like
2: something? There's something shifty there. I don't know.
0: I don't know either. so oh, You yeah. see, you can so make them up. No experts say it like
2: oh, well, body language tells me this. You're like, yeah. Oh, okay, right. And he he started saying ninety-five percent of the press are garbage, and the Portuguese press criticise me and. Uh, he seemed shocked that he would be criticised in his homeland of Portugal about anything. I think he's forgetting that pundits, Gary Neville included, these lads, that's their job to critique. And if Fiel Ronaldo's not adding to the team... then Maybe he's going to be the world's
0: greatest pundit as well. It's uh, it's possible. We're going to talk a bit more about this with... um Andy Mitten in just a minute, but in the break you're going to hear Shane in conversation with Kevin O'Connor, who's a research scientist at UCD about how sustainable Ireland is compared to other countries. Off the ball in partnership with Science Week Science Week is helping us explore the infinite possibilities that science offers and the role of science in delivering solutions that support our future opportunities and challenges takes place from the 13th to the 20th of November. You can find out how to get involved by visiting scienceweek.ie. We're back after the break, as I said, with Andy Mitten's thoughts on the Ronaldo situation. OTB Andy Mitten, good morning to you. How are you? Good morning. Okay, thanks. Um, Shane says he made it through the first 10 minutes of the uh, interview last night and had to turn off because he was slightly sickened by it. I should point out, in case you're unaware, Shane's a Man United fan. How, did you manage to make it through the whole Is it how, 45 minutes so far? Is it, how much have they published? Have you, have you seen the whole thing? Yeah, I have. Um, I'd imagine that before Shane got to the 10-minute mark, he would have
3: gone through three different sets of adverts. They were certainly padding it all out. I did watch the whole thing. It's my uh, duty to watch the whole thing. Uh, I'll be asked about it a lot today. I'm going to write about it today. Um, I think the the headlines which preceded it were uh, stronger than any of the content which we saw, which was probably planned by Piers Morgan by by Talk TV by the, the the Murdoch empire if you like um my opinion's not really changed uh, from what I was saying a couple of days before the interview uh, to having watched it afterwards I I I think the only winners here are, are are Piers Morgan and Rupert Murdoch I think Cristiano Ronaldo's stock among a lot of Manchester United fans um has not been boosted by by doing this interview for several reasons um The the choice of outlet, uh, what he said, talk about being betrayed, blaming everybody um, but himself, and the fact that he's not playing that well. It just smacks to me of someone whose ego is struggling to come to terms with the fact that he's no longer the the, the incredibly
0: good player, probably one of the best two players in the world that he was. That's the problem from Ronaldo's perspective really here, is that if he'd done this interview at the end of last season where he was scoring a lot of goals and you know, he, you know you could still make the case that it wasn't necessarily great for the team that they were completely reliant on a then 36-year-old. But at the same time, if his performance level was off the charts and he was still doing it week in, week out, and he was coming out saying, this club's a bit of a shambles, the Glazers haven't invested, the training ground's exactly the same as it was, you know, what, what's the story here? Why have, this, why have they not progressed? And also, I didn't get support at a very important moment in my personal life then he would have had much more credibility because the performances haven't matched the level of anger he's got. Then people are going, "Well, oh, you're just a you're just a troublemaker now."
3: Yeah, he's not done it from a position of strength. If he would have talked about the training ground when he came back, he would have been more valid than talking about it now because actually a lot of money was spent on the training ground in the closed season, and some of the points he made um, were, were were valid. He came back when he left the club in two thousand and nine, Manchester United were world champions. When he came back, United were a long way from from that point. But he hasn't done this interview from a position of strength and I just think he needs someone close to him to say, get real. You know, you're not who you were. Um Manchester United fans are not stupid. They've been watching the games this season. Uh, his performances have, have dropped substantially his output has, his number of goals has, and he's gone from being a positive influence to a negative influence. He wanted to leave the club in the summer. Manchester United would not stop him leaving the club in the summer. United didn't push him out like he suggests. He wanted to leave. The fact that nobody came in for him who could pay the high wages that he's on at Manchester United
2: is not the fault of Manchester United, what do you, what do you make of the timing of it all, Andy? Like I mean I know Piers Morgan was asked um last week, I think you know, when this interview was recorded, he wasn't too um keen to, to reveal when exactly that was. I'd imagine it's it's since he refused to come off the bench uh against Newcastle that day, but we don't we don't really know, but the timing is interesting.
3: Yeah, I I naively thought after the Fulham game on Sunday that Manchester United wouldn't dominate the news cycle now the World Cup finals were kicking in. But I use the word naive because the public gets what the public wants. Uh, Piers Morgan befriended Cristiano Ronaldo because he is a celebrity that he is. He talked about having almost half a billion followers on Instagram and that stuff resonates with him. And clearly with the player as well, he spoke about that uh, during the interview Um, from a journalistic perspective. uh, It's kept people busy this week when not a lot is actually uh, happening. So, I think it was deliberately planned. I think the choice of platform was wise from Piers Morgan's perspective, but not from Cristiano Ronaldo's perspective. But everyone's been talking about it. He's got this huge scoop and he's he's done what he does, whether it's with Donald Trump or Cristiano Ronaldo. He'll just be sitting back smiling now that people are arguing back and forth whether uh, Cristiano was right or wrong to do it. But among Manchester United fans, and that's who I care mostly about the, re- the reaction has been overwhelmingly negative and he might talk about they're always there for me they're great for me um, well I'm sorry I- I've not met many who think it was a good idea for him to say what he said and I think Eric Tenargs treated him pretty fairly actually it that- could have been much more harder on him so to, to talk about being betrayed by him
0: uh, I think he's wider the mark that is the sad part here that there was a legacy of a player who burst onto the global stage at Manchester United had great times and then went on to have an amazing career at Real Madrid as well but that's gone now that like the memories of that okay the memories of it will never fade fair enough but his relationship with that club and that time in the club's history will always be tarnished as a result of this interview
3: Yeah it, it's not done it any any good then again I've seen countless players leave and it's almost always unedifying. Very few players choose to do what Eric Cantona did and say, right, I'm going now on my terms. I remember the end of Roy Keane's time, uh, the end of Wayne Rooney's time was pretty testing. And then you know, Wayne Rooney got a lot of criticism from Manchester United fans before he moved on. And now he's celebrated, and I still think history will remember Cristiano the footballer really well at Manchester United. Uh, George Best didn't always behave like an angel and was ultimately sacked by the club with good reason, and yet there's a statue of him outside Old Trafford. So uh, football fans in the short term will, will be pretty hard and critical of Cristiano Ronaldo, and I get that. I actually agree with that. But I think in the long term when people are asking to recount their greatest ever 11s, he would still make it. Uh, there's just, it's just a little storm, and it's in a teacup, and I, I don't actually think Manchester United
0: will be buffeted that much from it because he's not the best player anymore. No, and the other thing is, there's only six months left in the contract, if, I, if I'm right about that, and so therefore, if they have to pay up, they pay up. If they don't have to pay up, they can get something back or they can sue him. That's for the lawyers to decide ultimately, and it's not going to have a massive impact, really, on the, the bottom line. But what actually happens, do you think, or what's your instinct about the process that occurs? Because we were told United were really waiting until the full interview was available to them. Maybe they've already got the full interview. The lawyers, I'm sure, have requested a copy of it. And I'm sure um, whatever the the TV station is would be only too happy to furnish them with it. So what what do you think does actually happen now in the, um, the technical legal situation with regards to Cristiano Ronaldo, the footballer? I think United's
3: um, legal people have to see if he's uh, breached any terms of his contract. As I said, United would have let him go. I don't see why Manchester United should pay up his contract. What, what have United done wrong here? If he's trying to force his way out, you know, go. But don't expect your contract, a huge contract, the best paid player in the Premier League, or one of the best two, um, to yeah. be paid up, because I don't think it's fair. I don't think United have acted uh, badly here. And I'd be, I would be the first to criticise if I felt Manchester United had done and if if the Glazers had, had, had acted uh, wrongly. But I think Cristiano Ronaldo is in the wrong here. So I think the legal people will be going through it thinking, can we sack him? Can we get rid of him? And if they can't, well, then they've still got a contract. And everybody says to me, I'll never play for us again. Well, he actually might do. It's unlikely, but people were saying the same thing to me in August when Cristiano was telling people that he was going, but he didn't go because nobody wanted him. You've still got the same issue for him. Someone has still got to come in and say, we want you and we're
2: going to pay you. And he's got to be happy with that and be prepared to to move on. Hey, one of the things Cristiano Ronaldo said in the, in, in the piece last night, Andy was around the press and he said, look, I don't read any stories in the newspapers, but he did say, I don't know why the press criticised me, especially the press in Portugal, 90% of them are garbage. Uh, and then, you know, he, you see him kind of shunning some of the sky pundits at the side of the pitch when, when, when any of them dare to criticise him. So, on one hand, he's saying he doesn't listen to the criticism, and then, on the other hand, he clearly does.
3: Yeah, I've heard this before, you know. I never read the papers, but, you know, everything that's going on in, in the papers. Um when he, he might talk about online and say 90% of it is rubbish and there's elements of, of the journalism trade I'm not going to defend but there's also some very, very good journalists Um there's been a lot of good journalism done on serious subjects from the issues around the Qatar World Cup to everything really. I think um, the scrutiny which um, public figures are held to account is, is not a bad thing and we can do that in a, in a free democracy. With Cristiano um saying that you know even the Portuguese papers are going for me now. For, as I understand it, that's because he's not been as effective for Portugal as he once was. And he was praised when he played well and he'll be criticised when he plays badly. He can't have it both ways. Now if if it if it's penacious and it goes beyond that, then then that is wrong. But the the, the criticism I've seen of him has been from a, a, a playing perspective. And he talks about the pundits. Well, they're only saying and articulating what a lot of the fans can see. You know, If someone like Gary Neville or Roy Keane was to say Cristiano was fantastic today when he wasn't, then their own credibility is on the line, just as mine would be. And he seems to object to anybody who criticises him and yet anyone who praises him, he sends it back the other way. Roy Keane's the best captain I've ever had. I mean, that was probably true as well. But pundits are there to tell the truth. People who've played football can see things through professional eyes. And I don't think there's been any vendetta against Cristiano Ronaldo at all. He scored two goals this season against Sheriff from Moldova and one one in the league. His statistics have, have fallen off a cliff. He's been given chances. He's been indulged. He's been given the captaincy. And it was him who walked out of Old Trafford twice this season, nobody else. He made that conscious decision. So if he wants to be seen as an example, who wants people to follow him, what well, is he suggesting that young players follow him out of the ground before
2: the end of the game? I don't think that's professional either. Like the, the the transfer window seems to be one of the big bugbears of his and look he referenced the transfer window in which he was brought in and Jaden Sancho and Rafael Ferran were brought in as well as you know, a good window and, and possibly the start of something good, but he was also quick to, to point backwards to David Gill, the former chief executive, and name-check him and and really highlight the fact that the transfer windows since the Ferguson era maybe haven't been what he would have expected.
3: I think that's a fair comment. Equally, I'd be pushed to find anyone criticising Manchester United's recruitment after that summer where they brought in Varane and Sancho and, and Cristiano. P- people were delighted, including myself. Hasn't really worked out with all of them. Varane was injury hit first season. Better this. Sancho has not hit the heights expected. Cristiano was good last year. Less so this. I think a wider point of Manchester United's recruitment not being as good as it was is absolutely valid. We've seen that. We've seen hundreds of millions squandered on substandard, subperforming uh, footballers. You could easily argue that they've been brought partly because of the reputation. Uh, Lots of them have been on the way down, they've not performed. Huge names like Alexis Sanchez, Bastian Schweinsteiger. There's been a lot of them. United have recruited poorly. Compare that to Liverpool, for example, who have worked on a smaller budget than Manchester United, still managed to win the league, win the Champions League, and have been much smarter. Manchester City, obviously, the way they're funded means that They can recruit smartly anyway, but they have done. You know, Pep Guardiola has got a well-oiled machine there, and that's not a word or term you would use to describe Manchester United in the post-Ferguson era. So Ronaldo's harking back to when all was good. He was on the rise, when David Gill was his boss. He kept using the word president. Manchester United don't have a president. Uh, He talks about the chef not even changing. Well, the chef has changed, because I spoke to the chef earlier this year, and he wasn't there when... Cristiano was there uh, last time so there are some uh, inaccuracies in it as well um, it's his version of the truth and in football there's often more more than one version of the truth but uh, my opinion has not changed uh, having seen the interview uh, from, from before uh, seeing it uh,
0: The position of Ten Hag is going to be very interesting at the end of this, it feels like it's actually going to be enhanced uh, as long as Ronaldo doesn't come back. I, you know, I think I understand the uh, the vagaries of contract law might prevent them from firing him officially and so therefore he'll still be on the books and at some point maybe down the line there's a crisis and they decide, okay, we have a a, a game that we want you to play in. It um, might not be the Europa League, but uh, those games are going to be big. But there could be a situation where they find themselves in where they have to play him. That wouldn't be great for Ten Hag. But if, if for example, they decide they're just going to get into the legal battle with his lawyers and at some point a settlement is made for a portion of the contract or none of the contract or whatever ten hag comes out of this as like somebody who has instilled discipline stood up to the biggest player in world football with his half a billion instagram followers and made the right decision for the club i think that leaves him in a much stronger position i i i, I don't know if it's, it i don't know if it's necessarily played out that way on purpose from ten hag but it certainly feels like he's dealing with the big issues properly yeah, he's made big calls with Ronaldo, with Harry Maguire, when
3: he dropped Luke Shaw, Luke Shaw earlier on in the season. He's a disciplinarian and because results have been good, he's getting away with it, people are supporting him. He's still basking in the glow of uh, the new being a new manager and every new manager would, would benefit from a, a period where fans you know, are invested in the person, want to believe in that person but he's had some really big results beating Liverpool, Arsenal, performance against Tottenham was fantastic. Uh, United are fifth. Fifth isn't overly impressive, but have yet to play a lot of the lower teams. I've uh, got a game in hand, had a terrible start with um two opening defeats, so it's pointing in the right direction uh, through in the league cup. Big game against Barcelona to look forward to, albeit with with some nerves because United didn't win that with with Real Sociedad um, winning it. So I think Ten Hag's on pretty solid ground and he's the one whose stock is rising and Cristiano's is going the other way. No player can ever be bigger than the club. Um, Ferguson always had that as his mantra and Ten Hag is showing similar character traits. Cristiano Ronaldo is 37. He's not Manchester United's future. Uh, Eric Ten Hag, potentially, is Manchester United's long-time future manager. And he's got to make the decisions. And I don't think there's anything personal. I've not heard any evidence of that at all. I think he's been pretty fair with every player. And I speak to people at the club every single day. And right from that pre-season, I was getting intelligence, which led me to think, OK, he knows what he's doing here. And there'll be setbacks. There was one against Aston Villa last week. And I wouldn't expect Manchester United to winning the Premier League this year but I've been I think he's doing a good job Eric Ten Hag and I think he's dealt with Cristiano
0: in a a fair manner Uh, Has Alex Ferguson's reputation taken any collateral damage from the fact that Ronaldo's like yeah I was about to join City and cause all this trouble there but then Ferguson intervened and maybe come to Old Trafford instead
3: Not really I mean Ferguson made mistakes as well Ferguson's human and i put that more on to Cristiano. So you were prepared to join Manchester City, were you? You couldn't think that through for yourself. Did it, did it take Alex Ferguson to change your mind on that one?
0: Wouldn't it have been I mean, great for Man United if he was there causing all the trouble for Pep Guardiola now, storming off into the World Cup, and maybe they wouldn't even have signed Haaland because he would have scored so many goals for them last year. It's an interesting yeah, little sliding doors moment.
3: We can all do the what about, Ray. What if he'd scored the winning goal in a European Cup final? to win Manchester City's first okay, ever Okay, yes, that would not be good. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, speaking factually, when he signed, I'd say 99% of Manchester United fans were pleased that Cristiano came back. He gave the club a lift, a buzz. The demand for tickets around his debut against Newcastle was the highest it had been for since that Real Madrid game. I- ironically, when Cristiano Ronaldo came back, in 2013. So that that shows his celebrity. He is huge. In the eyes of some fans, uh, he's bigger than the club. Maybe not fans who actually go to the, to the matches, but a lot of the younger fans, you know, my eight-year-old daughter, Cristiano Ronaldo is probably bigger than Manchester United in her eyes. So there's different demographics here, And I have seen some Manchester United fans defending him because they're basically Cristiano Ronaldo fans. And that's been a... a a relatively new phenomenon people follow individuals rather than clubs but it does exist
0: yeah and I I think Erling Haaland probably has the same and it's one of those things which makes you think Haaland's not going to be at City for much longer than two or three seasons because he wants to go off and see what it's like to be that player at Real Madrid and to be that player in some other league as well and one last thing before we let you go here Uh, I know you obviously follow Spanish football a lot what do you think of their World Cup prospects is there because um, we were talking about Portugal and their prospects, and if everything aligns and they get a little bit of luck, they could cause damage for a team in a quarterfinals and a semi-final, and who the hell knows, maybe Ronaldo at the end of all this is lifting the trophy, we'll see, unlikely, but Spain must fancy their chances, right?
3: Yeah, Spain Spain are a good team with a, a very, very good manager in Luis Enrique. I was really impressed with them in the Euros, That that semi-final against Italy, was probably the best game of football I saw in 2021 and it was a very narrow game. So, them small margins that you talk about could easily go in in Spain's favour. They've certainly got the quality, they've got the strength in depth, they've got a a wise manager. They would benefit from not being the favourites that they were a decade ago when they won those three tournaments, Euros, World Cup, Euros, 2008, 10 and 12, uh, emerging talents coming through. You've got... Very strong links, you know. The if you've got that uh, Pedri, Gavi, Bush gets midfield, well, they're top of the league for Barcelona in La Liga. It isn't quite Iniesta and Xavi, but Spain is a country which produces world class um, footballers up front. They've not got um, a top, top number nine, but then they've not been playing with one for a long time. So they use that false nine idea pretty much before any international team. So, yeah, Spain, Spain would not be the favourites, but they'd certainly be one of six capable of winning it. And all of those players are capable of um, playing in front of the biggest stages. They play for Barcelona, Madrid, or the, the big Premier League teams. So, we've got a really, really good manager as well. I've got a lot of respect for Luis Enrique. I've interviewed him. I've spent an hour and a half in his company and walked away from that thinking, wow. You're a really impressive uh, human. He, he absolutely knows
0: his stuff. And, um, yeah, Spain are in, are in decent shape. Yeah, looking forward to seeing how they get on. Uh, people are texting us about, and Shane in particular thought that there was an issue between Bruno and Ronaldo. Were you buying that, or did you think that was um, too short? A, uh, my My instinct is that, the data is too small. It's incomplete. <laughs> we don't know what happened before. We don't know what happened after. We can't really hear what they're saying. Uh, Shane's insisting that, no, there's something up. Just he looked awkward. He didn't like it. Uh,
3: I wouldn't read too much into that little awkward. It was awkward uh, interaction. I would read more into the fact that when Cristiano was asked to talk about the best Manchester United players, he omitted Bruno. So he talked about Diogo Delot. Again, fair point. Someone who <laughs> talks up to him, and he, he, did, he didn't include Bruno in that. So there's definitely some um, professional tension, jealousy. Call it what you like. There, teammates don't have to be best mates. And you know, when I was a kid, I used to think that all the Man United players hung around together, went out socialising together. Actually, in the 80s, most of them did, and that's why they didn't win the league title. But it's completely changed now but they're not best mates good stuff
0: Andy thanks a million cheers cheers that's uh, Andy Mitten there um, he said he was writing about that later on so stay tuned follow him on social and make sure you uh, read his further thoughts it's 8.35 this morning if you want to get in touch we'd love to hear from you at is the WhatsApp number or you can leave a comment on the YouTube stream um <laughs> uh, Fergie brought the Glazers in basically with the falling out over a horse with McManus. So he's the root cause of all your success and current troubles, says Chris, He's clearly not a United fan, but I mean, it's true. It's he He's telling the truth.
2: Yeah. And it's like uh, the Glazers saw a window that opened because... There are still Ronaldo superfans here. There was that, a debate about a horse. There was, and that's what caused it. But yeah, it, was. well, it
4: wasn't...
0: It actually wasn't the horse. It was horse semen.
2: Okay, yeah, yeah. Rock of Gibraltar, Seaman, uh, at 8.36 on, on the Thursday morning good topic but uh, I mean I'm listening to what Andy's saying and, and like it, the, the mad thing is ordinarily this week we'd be talking about Alejandro Garnacho and nobody is we're talking more about a mural being pulled down down off Old Trafford yesterday good. that's good
0: for Garnacho I think um, the, the <clears throat> expectations low yeah yeah, or
2: like the hype and uh, either that or he's like
0: I'm the new Ronaldo yay
2: <laughs> you know he seems like that type of kid with, with an ego Ronaldo-esque ego hopefully certainly the subtext of some of the comments about his attitude coming through yeah and when you take off your jersey in celebration and hold up your name I mean that was the quintessential egotistical celebration but I think fans were loving it um, but yeah it's taking a sheen off it and, and you can read into everything you can read into the Bruno stuff you can read into the the uh, mural being pulled down off Old Trafford's uh, a massive Ronaldo mural pulled, off, pulled down yesterday but uh, reality is we don't know what's going on behind the scenes but I I I'd be shocked if he played for United again. If he if he does, I would be intrigued to see the reaction of the fans. Something would I, have to
0: happen, uh, you know. But like I, I do think that it's a legal situation there where uh, they'll make the case that he is in breach of contract because he's mm. like slandered the reputation, said their current manager doesn't respect him, says he's no respect for the current manager. You know, tick tick tick. All oh, my my lawyers are like building this thing, and then his lawyers are like. Uh, I don't know it's in the contract it? it's not uh, the definition doesn't quite say n- and then
2: they come to a deal and it's
0: like okay we'll give you 100 grand a week for the rest of your contract away you go
2: and they're like mm. yeah okay grant but you're free to sign with somebody else fair I think everyone would be, be happy with that just let them go into, off into the sunset and cause trouble elsewhere
0: it's 8.38 um, the bombshell news that Michael Murphy was retiring from uh, inter Gaelic football slightly overshadowed the other big news that was confirmed yesterday when Lee Gannon Did press to confirm that Pacquiao is now again part of the Dublin backroom team. Paul Caffrey, the former Dublin manager, is with us. Paul, good morning to you. How are you?
4: Morning, Gerard. How are you?
0: This had kind of been rumbling around the ether for the last month and a half. And um, I think, in fairness, Pat Nolan was the first person to put it to print in the mirror last week or maybe 10 days ago at this stage. And then it was officially confirmed um, by Lee Gannon, or semi officially confirmed that Packy Roy's back in. We don't know what he's going to do. What do you think he's going to do?
4: Yeah, look, uh, the first thing you have to say, I, I think it's great news from a Dublin fan perspective. Uh, Pat obviously uh, still has the enthusiasm and the want and the desire to get back involved with Dublin. Uh, I probably think that, like, Pat took over after me, changed things around, did a fantastic job, won the All Ireland in 2011. Uh, would be disappointed I would think with their exit in 2012 against Mayo in a semi-final and then stepped down uh, but look he, he he had laid the huge build the blocks the stones uh, for what happened over the next 7-8 years uh, Dublin gone on to win 6 of the next 8 All-Irelands um, so it, it was phenomenal stuff in, in, in terms of what happens uh, he obviously threw his hat in with the hurlers for a while uh, business commitments didn't let him stay at that for too long. But, um, you know, he, he, once a guy has a desire uh, and of that ability and that uh, esteem, uh, and Pat would be, you know, talking to the players over the years, like they, they would have really liked Pat uh, in terms of his style, his no nonsense style, what he brought to the table. Uh, and then, look, I, I would think from Desi's perspective, there would have been sort of a, a lot of soul searching, uh, like, Bet in the last two semi semi-finals, and he, he might have come to the realisation himself that, look, maybe he needed to shake things up at the top table and, and bring in other people. Um, and, and, and this seems to be the way with the new modern management teams that, you know, it, it's always about surrounding yourself with the best people. And, and if Pat was available and willing to come on board, uh, well, I think his, his CV is right up there. And uh, I think himself and Desi are obviously long-time mates having a, have a soldier together in '95 to win an All-Ireland. Uh, they would have been in, in, in contact I would think all the time over the years and uh, I, I think it's a really good move for Dublin what exactly his role would be there, I, I don't know and, and, and maybe it's not the only change that the players will see come 2023 um, like you look at the brave move that Jack O'Connor made bringing in Paddy Talley um, you, you know someone from outside uh, just to, to, to freshen things up and, and the reward that Kerry got from that so so it wouldn't shock me to see somebody else being added to the ticket further down the line, but I would think that, look, Pat, will bring a, ba- a vast amount of experience, knowledge, uh, and know-how, and obviously, look, a hugely successful businessman, uh, and himself and Desi, you know, a fresh pair of eyes and ears on the scene. It can only be good news for Dublin. I- I add that into the fact with Jack Mack and Paul Mannion declared themselves available for 2023. I, I think it's been a good good, good few weeks for Dublin GA.
0: Yeah, it is uh, it is like a superhero movie where, you know, while Kerry are off celebrating and on their team holiday and picking up their Player of the Year gongs and doing the tour around the schools, the dubs are like in the gym and the Rocky music is blaring.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, I, I I think a lot of these guys, you know, you take the, the, the Brian Clentons and Kieran Uncle Kenny's, and they're really only used to winning dress rooms for so long and then, uh, maybe a bit of hurt has come into it. You know, James McCarthy's getting married at the end of uh, December. A lot of people might have thought, well, you know what, it, it'd it be hard for James and Mick Fitz and even Johnny Cooper to soldier on. It might be time for them to, to dust down and, and, and go back to the clubs and into retirement or whatever. But no, there, there's a very defiant message there that, look, uh, you know, the, the hurt that maybe it, it finally was... Not so much Tyrone beating Mayo two years ago, but maybe Kerry this year coming and sticking their chests out and saying we're back, and that might be just the final bit of hurt that this group needed to say. You know, let's shake it up here, let's let let's roll it out for one more year. And if Desi sees that he's going to improve the top table and the players feel that they've a little bit more to give, I, I think Dublin could be a dangerous animal this year. And um, I, I know the bookies have tightened it in the last in the last couple of weeks, and really. It's Dublin and Kerry at the top, and, and, and then it's it's the rest a good bit down the field. So um, I I just think it's made 2023 a little bit more interesting.
2: Yeah, we've been talking a little bit about egos on on the show this morning, uh, Pillar, and, and like I guess for some for some managers being a being a, the head the head man, then coming back in as someone in the back room will be tough to do. But then we've seen a lot of it re- in recent years. Stephen Rochford comes to mind as someone who went in with yeah. Donny Gall and Liam Sheedy was in, even into the and footballers. Yeah. It seems to be more a more common thing, and, and clearly something the Pat is, is quite up for.
4: Yeah, and look, you know, I, I don't think in terms of ego and terms of if you surround yourself with quality people, you know, as manager, your job is to listen to them and, and draw out of them what you can. Uh, you know, okay, somebody has the final say at the end of the day, but um, you know, the, 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 the more experts. Teas you have around the top table, I think it it will only benefit. And I I don't think people are saying how, how can Pat come back and him having been manager or whatever. Pat will easily slide back in there, and uh, without assuming the road, role of banished door he'll still have a huge say in, in in what's going on there. And he he you know he'll add value to the whole ticket. And I I think that you know everybody will be quite comfortable with that. I think the players will be excited uh, about it, and. <clears throat> Desi has obviously thought this through and, and said, yeah, you know what, th- this is going to help Dublin be a better team in 2023 and let's go for it and I, I'd imagine there have been lots of meetings between Desi and Pat and, and maybe the rest of the extended management team to see how the best fit is going forward and, and how to facilitate this and um, as I said, it wouldn't shock me you know, to, to see that maybe there might be somebody else managed added to the actual ma- uh, training ticket um, and, and that's where it's at. You know, you see Kevin mulch been announced going down to Cork to give a dig out there. And, and, and this is what it is. If you can get somebody who is, you know, and Pat would have the expertise of, you know, taking a team uh, and moulding them uh, and getting them over the line uh, and seeing the hurt that comes from losing semi finals, which these guys now have in the dressing room and then shaping that, you know, and Desi has his All Ireland senior title under his belt in, in, in the, 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 the 2020 Christmas All Ireland and. Uh, you know Desi has invested an awful lot into this group with his minor days and 21 days and I I think Desi will feel himself as his unfinished business and and, you know I think it's a great line from Desi in terms of you know he's leaving no stone unturned Uh, and it's a big move by Desi and a brave move by Desi and um, I, I, yeah. think I, I think he
0: deserves a lot of credit for it because on the other side of the ego thing, you know, people wondered about Pat and him parking his ego to the point where he's uh, gonna not be the main man and that's not usual for him at all. But from Desi's perspective, it's like, yeah, I, I do think that we can be better by bringing people on board. And it kind of gets rid of all of the conversation around Desi from some of the Dublin fans, a small minority who are like, oh, you know, uh, he only took Peter's team and, or sorry, he only took um, Jim Gavin's team. And and yeah. won the All-Ireland with that. Like, he has literally, as you say, left no stone unturned. And it shows an absence of ego on his part that he wants the greater good.
4: Yeah, no, and I, I think that's a very valid point. Uh, and, you know, I, I would give massive credit to Desi for for, for being big enough uh, and honest enough uh, to, to say, yeah, look, hang on, this is about improving Dublin. And this is about, you know, can Dublin win the All-Ireland in 2023? They're down vision 2. They will get a chance to rebuild and blood players and I think it, 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 with Jack Mack and uh, Paul Mannion coming back into the fray, all of a sudden, you know, instead of the <clears throat> little bit of doom that was settling around and I'll carry her back in and they'll probably do three or four in a row and, uh, you know, maybe the next, pretenders or the next contenders are, you know, Galway if they keep building or whatever, that maybe Dunham are going to slip away nicely quietly now after being so dominant for the last 10 years. All of a sudden you now there's a little pep in the step again and say, you know what, uh, th- this is a brave, bold move by Desi Farrell. It's uh, to be applauded. Uh, and uh, why wouldn't you want Pat Gilroy to come on board in in any capacity uh, to improve things?
0: You, you, you mentioned there that you wouldn't be surprised if um, there was further additions being made to the backroom team. Uh, do you think it's possible that somebody from outside the county might join, or is that off the agenda?
4: I I would think probably off the agenda. I I think you know. It, it, like even I in, in my years, you know, you're all the time looking to see is there somebody outside that will add value. You know, I, I brought in the likes of Ski Wade as a defensive coach, Kieran Duff as a forwards coach. So you are looking to add to your ticket in terms of, you know, you're the manager and, and I had selectors in, in Paul Clark and, and uh, Davey Billings and Davy and Brian Talty. But like, you know, you you do have the the, the remit, you do have the, 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 the permission to, to add uh, whatever way you like and see fit in terms of uh, adding to your ticket and, and I, I just think that's that's part of the evolution of management uh, and particularly now you're always looking for look is there somebody else out there that can add, add value and you know there's guys that have retired recently that stay involved Butchie Daly was was back involved there Kevin McMenon was back involved so Desi, Desi is obviously evolving this and, and building uh, and getting guys back involved that's why you don't see them as front-liners that they're still behind the scenes doing the work uh, so so I, I think this is still could be a change in picture going forward uh, and there still could be um, you know adjustments uh, but it's exciting it's exciting for Dublin fans it's exciting for Dublin football and I think it's exciting for the 2023 Championship Dublin and Kerry aren't going to meet in the National League so you know we're not going to have that uh, visual early in the year and um You know, we have the prospect of that happening later in in 2023 in the Championship.
0: Yeah, it's going to build the tension uh, as long, if we can delay it for as long as possible and then hopefully get it a couple of times, that would be an ideal scenario. I did want to ask you about Michael Murphy and his retirement before uh, we wrap this up here. Um, You know, Murphy's career, from the very second he arrived as a senior footballer, he was heralded as a kind of saviour of Donegal football and he delivered the whole way through, which is very, very difficult in a county that had been as starved of success as Dunie Gall were for him to hit the the heady heights and carry the burden of being captain and best player into every single game, basically from the time he was eighteen to the last game he retired after.
4: Yeah, look, Jerry, it's right to acknowledge, you know, one of the greats of the game, um, Michael Murphy, and, and and like when you talk about Pat Gilroy and, and Desi Park and their their, their egos and. All, like what What a humble guy anybody who's ever met Michael Murphy or been in his company like what a humble guy he is uh, I, I remember when they were in college uh, he was up in DCU and going up to see a freshers final um, so they were first year college and it was the big talk of Dublin there was going to be a great game up in DCU it was uh, DCU were playing uh, and Michael Murphy was obviously playing full forward and uh, Aidan O'Shea was playing for his college uh, I think he was DIT yeah so it was this big game, a massive crowd up in DCU on a winter's November day or whatever. And it actually turned out it was a strong breeze, as there often is this time of the year. And the two of them ended up marking each other at midfield. Uh, and like, what a tussle. But there was only one winner, and, and it, it was the Donegal man. And I, I think from that day on, us people in Dublin looking at him are saying, right, this guy is really special. This guy is really, really special. Then, you know, um he, he got Donegal to an All-Ireland on the 21 All-Ireland final down in Park. They played the Dubs. Uh, Jimmy McGuinness was manager of that 21 team. And Jim Gavin was manager of the of the Dublin team. And fantastic game it was up there. And uh, James McCarthy would have been playing for Dublin that day. And a host of other fellas that went on to, 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 to do great things. But Donegal got a penalty near the end of the game. And Michael Murphy stepped up and... He cracked it off the crossbar and hit it so hard that it came out beyond 30 yards and was cleared and Dublin won the game by a point or two. I remember looking at him on the pitch after He was absolutely devastated. And and he was still only a kid at this stage. And then, as you rightly say, look, week in, week out, you know, he turned up for Donegal. He turned up any time I went to see DCU playing. He was phenomenal. He was never ordinary when you'd see him playing. He was just phenomenal. You know, I remember the the 2006 All-Ireland final uh was it they bet mayo and the game was just over after 10 minutes uh you know michael murphy had just turned it on inside and pulled forward mayo had no answer and <clears> Tony <throat> Done- had laid the foundations. And it just uh absolutely it, it was a pleasure watching him uh, and like what a career F- 15 years um i know he struggled in the last year or two with injuries and look that's what happened when you put in that that groundwork of hard work, uh, you know, and and then, like he he, he was, he, you know, his list of achievements like between Sigerson and uh, five Ulster titles and his All Irelands and and as you said, being the talisman captain for, for so long of Donegal and and expected and delivering to be the best player every time he went out from. So uh, we won't see the likes from again. And, and and to do it, you know, in a period where Donegal, uh, we're up and down, we're striving, we we're, we're you know, winning Ulster titles, were getting knocked out. Or, 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 like, he's just a fantastic career that he had for uh, and, and what he gave, and uh, best of luck to him. And uh, he's definitely a guy you'll see in management in the future. You know, I think he's dipped his toe already in the colleges and uh, Sigerson scene, and uh, you, you can imagine him being much sought after further down the road.
2: It's a terrible question to ask anyone, Piller. But like in terms of the greatest Donegal footballers of all time, and you'll have remembered that that uh, class of '92 as well, up in Donegal. Yeah. But where does he rank, do you think?
4: Uh, for me, for me, he's number one. You know what I mean. I, I, I go back to remember Shameless Bonner, uh, brilliant, brilliant '14 for for Donegal, and then look at that class of '92, and, and you know McHugh, and and, and these boys that were brilliant on that. Uh, but now look at the. Uh, and he played with some great footballers himself uh, but no for, for, for me there was, there was none better than than, than Michael Murphy that were, ever wore the Donegal jersey
0: Paul great stuff thanks so many for joining us cheers cheers good luck lads it's uh, former double manager Peter Caffrey giving us his thoughts on the news that Pacquiao is back with the dubs and also uh, on the end of Michael Murphy's inter-county career it's 8.54 this morning Um OTBAM is obviously brought to you each morning in association with Movember. Effortless Shave, Magnificent Mo. You can sign up or donate now at movember.com. Um, and I did just want to remind you that... Uh, I
2: have a couple of comments to get through here first before I do anything else. Sorry about that. We, we had one straight in. Uh, Noel Cahill, he's back in on YouTube. Uh, why is Shane calling him Bruno, personal friend? I think I made a similar comment the other day. that uh, I was calling Bruno, Bruno, so... I must be instead, of Fernandez. instead of Bruno Fernandes instead of Bruno Fernandes
0: well life is short it's part of our accelerated yeah. culture why would you not use shorthand exactly
2: save the syllables I mean Jesus y- some people are recognisable by the one I think Bruno is maybe one of those
0: you got to go down to BF
2: yeah 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 exactly it doesn't mean we're mates no it doesn't mean we're mates it just means it's easier to say it's simple as that um, right
0: a reminder that uh, Braeburn Coffee is the official coffee partner of OTB. Whether you're travelling for work in the morning or training in the evening, Brayburn will give you the boost you need. It's available at Apple Green locations nationwide. And each week, we're given one lucky viewer a 100 euro voucher to spend on some Brayburn coffee goodness at an Apple Green store near you to enter, check out, add off the ball on Twitter, like and retweet our Braeburn competition post and you will be in the draw. Now, the uh, Ireland game this weekend is going to be available on Amazon Prime. Jamie Heaslip is part of the commentary team for Amazon Prime where all of the Autumn Nation series games are available to stream. And Shane has been
2: chatting to him about the game against Australia. Have a look. All right, well, Jamie Heaslip is part of a new Prime video team who have exclusive rights to all Autumn International series games in Ireland. And co-exclusive rights to Ireland's games with Virgin Media. Delighted to say, Jamie Heaslip joins us on the line now on o 2 Morning, Jamie. How are things? I'm good. How are you? Keeping well, man. Keeping well. Uh, we decided we take a bit of a look ahead to the, uh, the final November International this weekend against the Australians. I um, was interested to read Jerry Thorny in, in the papers this week, talking about Australia's inconsistency. They've had the, the poor result, of course, against the Italians last weekend. But always a dangerous prospect to come up at this time of year against the Australians, Jimmy.
1: Yeah. Um, look, Australia are, are a good side. Um, they've had some quality players, but yeah, consistency has been an issue for them. But uh, I think in, in a very strange way, um, not, we, not that we don't have to worry about Australia. Um, you know, We should really be focusing, pay, like pay our respect to them, do our analysis of them. But really at the level that we're now at and the mindset that we probably have to have um, coming into the next 10 months, uh you know we have to be confident that uh, we can beat them and we have to be uh, confident that we can execute on the day um but when we look back over the last couple of games i think we have to look at our own consistency um you know we we while we have uh, beaten all the top tier sides so far um you know, where we've come a little bit unstuck is against those kind of top marauding sides. Obviously we, we kind of got over that hump against uh, South Africa, but then our consistency last week, um, in terms of approach to the game, you know, was a bit underwhelming. And it's something that we have to, um, kind of work on and improve on and be a lot more uh, ruthless this week against uh, Australia, who will be b- bouncing back off, um, a top all day in the office last week. Is there any concern whatsoever over you know when when Johnny Sexton's not on
2: the pitch? And I know Carberry did his did his work last weekend, but and then there's talk of of, of Jack Crowley maybe coming into it into a team as well, maybe off the bench if Sexton is fit. But are there any concerns when Johnny's not on the pitch that there are those gaps and and, and even gaps in experience as well?
1: Yeah, that's a very good question. I was actually I was trying to look back, and I'm, I'm, while we're chatting here, I'm trying to pull up those stats that. um in terms of like we win a whole lot the the effect that Johnny has Mm. uh, on us winning in a game is pretty dramatic my stats from last week's notes aren't uh, top of mind and I will circle back on it but um, like he like the impact he has on on the on the team in terms of direction, in terms of commanding a presence, mm. uh, in terms of taking opportunity, as well as not just going through. I think the the letdown with Joey last week is that he went through the process a little bit too, bit too much. You know what I mean. This is the plan. We're executing the plan, even though at one stage, you know, I, uh, two scrums jump out at me last uh, last week. I think they were around r twenty two. They were they had. um I think they were down to either thirteen or fourteen men. I can't remember at the time, but there was no blindside flanker. The blindside winger was about twenty meters back, and um, like it was screaming out for them to attack that that short side. You know, worst case, you kick it down the field, and you got a one-on-one sprint with Balakun against someone else, which you'd back all day. But we went through the process no matter what. And with with, with Sexton, I think he probably sees that space. Maybe not the first time, but if he sees it the second time, he goes for it. Um or he tells the guys to go for it. And I think he has that commanding presence. And we win a whole lot more games with him on the field. Um, the numbers the numbers don't lie around that. Um I think you know Crowley took his opportunity last week. Um, you know, Joey's had what uh, he's down in Munster what near over four years now uh, playing at 10. I know he's had a lot of injuries, but um you know, anytime he's gone up against big opposition and uh, notably kind of Australia, uh, I think it was twenty eighteen against Australia. Um I think it was France this year when he starts at ten. Uh, we we've lost. Mm. Um so you know, people keep thinking saying, you know, Johnny's getting older, but you know, I think Johnny plays as long as Johnny is number one. <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh until anyone else steps up to the plate, um, the gap right now is still pretty big. And I think right now uh, the one who's starting to bubble up and potentially potentially come into that like second or third choice. Um, I think there's a lot of potential in
2: Crowley. That was one of the things, and it struck me from from Andy Farrell, uh, you know, in build up to the game, he stressed the need for these, uh, you know, secondary players, if, if we're calling them that, or the wider squad to step up to the mark in recent yeah. weeks. And and then you look at the Fiji game, and you know, 25 minutes with a man extra and a further. 10 minutes with with two men extra essentially on the pitch and really Ireland made made hard work of that for large sweds of that match.
1: Yeah, I mean you can look at you just even look how disappointed um uh, Andy was after the game. I think um uh, yeah I think uh, you know everyone who watched the game saw how disappointed was in terms of the mental territory we had mental possession we had and the lack of return on it. Um, and and this very kind of like you know, what was really disappointing was actually as well, I remember twice we scored uh, a try and then from the kickoff, we kind of switch off and we give an easy entry point, an easy penalty to to Fiji. And these moments, that it's fine against Fiji because we're always going to beat them, right? But, you know, we're, we have to stop playing at the level of the opposition and playing at our level. And I think that's what was probably most disappointing last week that we weren't at the level that Ireland wasn't at the level that it normally is. Um, And we had a lot of penalties, a lot of silly errors, uh, and that's going to be quite disappointing. Um, And a lot of guys didn't do themselves any favours in terms of the pecking order, while some others um, took their opportunity. You know, Treadwell stands out, um, McCluskey stands out, Crowley stands out in terms of my head of last week of guys who who took their chance. And we do need to build that depth. Um, I think we have a strong kind of strong depth in the pack and it's building. Um you could you could maybe argue there's a little bit of gap with some of the some of the front row positions, but that's starting to build. Um we have a good depth at, at nine and uh, I'd love to see Casey be on the bench this weekend for it. Um I think he's been hard done by maybe not been on the bench a little bit earlier. Um ten, there's a bit of a gap, but like in terms of center partnerships, we're seeing that building it's unfortunate Robbie Henshaw's injured and stuff and Gary Ringrose will probably play his what? I think it's his eighth game in a row or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the depth is starting to build, which is which is good. But you know if you just if we if you if you let me fast forward for uh, 10 months time, you know, people keep talking about us getting past this quarterfinal, which is which is a bit of a hurdle, right? Um to do that, we have to play um South Africa, Scotland, and then Australia um, and then New Zealand or France, right? And that's three massive tests in a row, and we need we need you've seen like you watch the game enough, you see how many guys get banged up from these international tests, such Mm. as the intensity, and to do it three weeks on the trot, like we need we need like to be able to slot fifteen guys in and out, no problem starting, Um, and there's just in some positions there's there's a I don't know if we can do that like for like, but we're definitely getting a lot more uh, parity and and kind of level standard amongst all the positions across the squad. It, it's getting there. It's not. It's, I don't think it's there yet. And there'll probably be a couple of late bolters. But yeah, we're getting there.
2: Slowly but surely. Like how, How's that? Um, how's the back row depth, chart looking for you at the moment? Because you, you mentioned a few of the, the top performers against Fiji in, in, in what was a dogged enough match. But Nick yeah. Timoney really put up his hand. And I think he said afterwards, had I not shown up, it might have been my last game for Ireland. He was really putting himself... Under severe pressure, but really, he's proved himself a, a fairly able deputy when uh, when Van der Fleer's not on.
1: Oh yeah, and there's very there's actually you know there's not a whole lot out and out sevens right now. Um, you know, Will Connors is still kind of coming back as well. Um, I th- I think Tim and he really put his hands up and he showed that he can get through a vast. I mean, he was another one, sorry, that obviously put his hand up mm. um, and and. Uh, he got through a vast amount of work, um, and I was I was really impressed with him. And he's an out and out seven. But he also, what will probably play play to his strength, is that he's he's pretty comfortable uh, flexing across the entire back row. Um, and for guys, uh, I'm not saying Nick isn't a starter, but I'm just saying for guys who aren't, let's say, you know, if we're if you and I were to sit down and kind of scribble out the start of fifteen here, and um, obviously there's a couple of guys who jump onto the page straight away. For the guys who don't make that start in 15, you know, to get into a World Cup squad, you need a lot of flexibility. And they're the guys who are really going to add a lot of value. And I think Timothy, in that regard, does that. And um, someone else who is who has really kind of started to kind of grow now that they're getting a little bit more time, I suppose, is Max Deegan. Mm. Um I think, you know, I, I, I look, you know, Max and Caitlin were kind of coming up together, right? And I kind of look and say, this is going to sound like uh, Max is probably the most uh, naturally gifted, athletic uh, back row I've seen in a long time. Um, you know, but I think he had to learn that you know the the, the grind and the process that it, it takes to be consistent at the top level. And I think Kalen um, is is you know a, a highly gifted footballer as well. But who took the chance and and probably, um, you know, he he took the chance a little bit earlier. Max took a little bit later to kind of learn how to go about it. But but having people like Max coming into their four in this kind of cycle is is really interesting in terms of the dynamic that brings to the back row, right? Because he's very dynamic. And he can play. He's shown that he can play six. uh, Ryan Baird as well as another one Mm. who can play six uh, and second row. and that just adds to the headaches for Andy Farrell and, and Paul O'Connell. Good headaches, you know, because you have established players there like uh, Jack Conan, Caelan, uh, like we mentioned, Josh flander Peter Omani, uh these type of guys. Um, and I think it's not, it's the, the way our team is now and the way Ireland play now, it's not good enough to be kind of how do I, a, a specialist in one thing anymore. And um, particularly in the back row, I think you have to ha- be be very good at that, like role specific uh, job description, let's call it, but also be a really, really good generalist in, in terms of you know, your passing skills, your line out skills, your poaching skills, your tackling skills, your carrying skills, because of the width and the speed um, and the way that Ireland played our game. And um, there's there's no, the more ball carriers, the more ball players, the more uh, line options we have on the pitch the more dangerous we are um, in terms of to, to defend so it, when it comes to the back row you know um, I, that's one place we are not lacking in depth <laughs> for sure and and you, we mentioned Josh van der
2: Fleer uh, and the incredible 12 months he has had Like we, we saw the World yeah. Rugby Player of the Year nominations come out this week and himself and Johnny Sexton up both up for the top gong and look I know and look you're someone who's been nominated for that, for that very award on a couple of occasions yourself. So you know how, big, how great an achievement it is, but is it, is it one of those achievements that you can only reflect? It's like the all-stars in Gaelic football and Hurling. You can only reflect once you're retired and maybe appreciate it, or is it at something at like a time where you're like,
1: okay, this is, this is pretty cool. Um, ah, look, I think you'll always say it's pretty cool. Um, oh, sorry. It's nice to be nominated. Mm. Okay. Um, because of the people that are part of that panel putting together, most of them are former players and, um, you know, it's kind of a nice recognition, I suppose. Um, And it shows you the level that you are at, um, which is kind of reaffirming in terms of, um, you know, you're putting in a lot of work and you're getting some sort of kind of validation, I suppose, for it. Um, But the real validation any of these guys care about is trophies. (laughs) Like, you know, you can get nice awards, um, but, like, at the end of the year, you're really looking at, um, like, what trophies are in the cabinet? What medals are you having at home? Um, I don't think you're really caring about anything else. And, you know, you look at Ireland, they haven't won anything in, since 2018. Um, and I think Johnny made a couple of comments there last week about that, you know, that they have to win things, you um, and be used to being favorites for example and, and going into a competition favorites and dominating it and um, they like they, they have to win trophies and that's what they really care about it's really cool for them Um, uh like i think i've said this i think johnny sexton is probably the best player ireland have ever had um you know in terms of trophies won, in terms of winning world player of the year in the modern professional era really i know keith wood won it but that was like at the start of the professional era this is like you know, over the last 15 years and um, and Johnny's been I think this is correct me if I'm wrong is this the third time Johnny's been nominated I'm fairly sure let me see he's, he's certainly looking to become the first player or one of the
2: one of the um the players certainly one of the only only players from here to become the first uh, to, to win it multiple times so like I mean yeah. when you when you look at the record even at least at least he has been recognized which which I, uh, I guess is important because he's like you say- he's,
1: he's world class like he just just I mean and and he, he's getting better you know he he he, he's looking after himself more off the field not that he didn't but you know he's he's always trying to improve on that yeah uh, investing in himself he's he's growing and has grown substantially as a leader um uh since he's kind of came back from France you know and 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 the years you know following that and short Lancaster bringing him through on that um and then just the way he views the game and I think that's the thing people forget like you know you've got to realize, you know, Johnny came through, Johnny had to fight to come through, right? Um, like he had to fight Contoponi to get the spot. And he didn't get the nod, uh, from Contoponi until Felipe got injured in the semifinal. I think, was it semifinal Uh, or the final? Sorry. Or semifinal, it was semifinal against Munster in, in 2009. Um, and then he kicked on, then he had to fight Raj to get through. And then, so he's been there since like, you know, 2010, 2011, and has like he's been at the top level the pictures that he's seen in real time in real match conditions and um, he's seen it for like 10 years at the highest level and that's why it all looks so natural for him in terms of like how he controls a game i think and a lot of people forget that they just they're trying to compare like with like in terms of the young gun coming through and versus someone who's seen this, those pictures for 10 years and um i think you know That kind of experience, and, and he keeps his body in good shape, it's a very dangerous combo um, to, to go up against. But it's great, and especially with Josh as well, by the way. Josh is one of the nicest people I think I've ever met in my life. <laughs> um, off the field, um, absolute pro, always looking to get better, um, real good uh, way and mannerism about him. Um, And I remember Johnny even talking about him, and even when I played with with Josh, it's like the reason you love playing with Josh is because he knew he was going to do his job one hundred percent of the time. Yeah, like he, you look at him play, like he never, he very, very rarely makes a mistake. Uh, He'll always know the game plan. He'll always know his role. He'll always know he'll make the right decision. You know, nine times out of ten, and you do not have to worry. Uh, about him and um, you know he'll get you a massive particularly if you're playing in the back row and you have him as your, your seven he'll get through a massive amount of work that potentially releases you a little bit more to have a m- bit more of a rolling role depending on who your the, the six and the eight are but Josh does take a huge amount of work um, off the plate yeah, absolutely, and what a, what a, what a year, twelve months
2: he's had for 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 Ireland, Ireland. Yeah, uh, Jamie, great stuff. Finally, score prediction for for the weekend, Ireland Australia, Saturday, eight PM.
1: Uh, I won't give you a, a score prediction because uh, I, I I haven't looked enough at it. Too uh, specific. But I, I think Ireland are, are Ireland should win comfortably. Um, I think such is the level that we are at. But you know, on any given day, you never know. Um, but I think we are going to have a fairly strong side with you know one or two interesting people potentially on the bench and um, some interesting calls from Andy. So that's what I'm, I'm more interested to see the squad that Andy mm. picks for this game rather than the actual game itself. Um, so that's that's what's going to be most interesting for me.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully another big performance on the way. Jimmy, great stuff as always. Thanks a million. No worries. Take care. Perfect. Jimmy, he's up there, the former Irish captain. I'm delighted to say Matt Williams is
0: with us. Matt, good morning to you. How are you?
5: Good morning, Joe. Very good night. Looking forward to... Uh... To the weekend.
0: I think that um we might be underestimating the challenge here. I I saw a good parts, the good first half of the um France Australia game. I thought Australia were amazing. Like they were kind of a little bit like uh the Michael Check-era Leinster, where they get the ball under their own post and the next thing it's the far corner, they've run the length of the field and they've scored some of the most amazing tries you've seen against France who are the best team in the world. So I know Italy beat them. But I'm expecting more of the team that played against France than the team against uh, Italy. Is that fair?
5: Joe, I hope you're right. But I I honestly don't know, and the trouble is neither do they. If you look at their form over the season, since uh, in the South it starts in June, beat England, lost to England, beat South Africa, lost to uh, South Africa, beat Argentina, lost to Argentina, should have beaten New Zealand except for an outrageous refereeing decision and then lost to New Zealand. So it's and, – and so far on the tour, uh, Pete Scotland should have lost, lost to France and Italy, and they should have won. So it, it, they are just – and this has been Australia for the last three years, especially their ill discipline, their penalties, their yellow cards. They've led the world pretty much, certainly led the rugby championship uh, in, in the number of infringements that they've given away. And you just cannot tell from week to week uh, how they'll turn up. They, they, and you were dead right. They were quite magnificent against the best team in the world. I, I think there's, a, there's another trend we have to look at here, Jer, in the bigger picture, that is everyone is doing this. Argentina beats England, then they lose to Wales. Argentina beats New Zealand, but they can't beat South Africa. Ireland beats South Africa. Australia beats South Africa. You, you know, Everyone in the top ten seems to be capable of beating each other on a any given day. That is that is very, very unusual. As a matter of fact, I I, I was talking with an old mate. We can't remember that being the case in our lifetimes. Um, some of that is is the quality of the ref of, of the players and the closeness, but it's also the that officials are having such a big play in the game, the penalties, scrum penalties and so on, which are really changing the face of games very, very quickly. So In a nutshell, at the Aviva on Saturday, I'm not sure, but I I think Australia are capable of winning. There's no doubt about that. Whether they turn up like they did in the Stade de France is is the big question.
0: It'd be really important for Ireland to see how they cope against that type of attack, the kind of all action, because we, we, we've now seen that, okay, we've learned a lot over the last couple of years and we, we know we have a plan for dealing with that version of South Africa that we saw. It'd be great for us to see uh, what we would do against this version of Australia if we were to come up against a side who play like this in the World Cup. And let's face it, there aren't that many of them. Um, but it, one of the things that happened in, after the, the um, 2015 World Cup was, oh, we got beaten by Argentina because we had loads of players who were injured and the Sean O'Brien suspension in that quarterfinal but I remember um, afterwards I think Ron O'Gara and both um, Andy Dunn were like well I'm not sure our defence would have stood up against them anyway even if we'd had our full team because the style of play was completely different and actually Argentina were brilliant we, we kind of had this saw, oh, we, we can deal with this because we would have dealt with it if we'd had our best players so like getting different challenges and, and testing yourself against different styles of play is exactly what you want at this time in the World Cup cycle
5: uh, well Absolutely, Joe. I think, yeah, it's really what you're you alluding to that. I think we go back a little bit. Ireland, had, you know, my, my 20 years, more than 20 years now dealing with Irish rugby, they've been in denial about world, Irish rugby has been in denial about their performances at World Cups for 20 years and they've never really addressed it until now. And Andy Farrell deserves a lot of credit for the way he has addressed that. Uh, starting last November in the in the radical changes he brought to the selection and the playing policy of the team. And the way he has selected the team so far um, this season, I think it has been a, a, a breath of fresh air is not the right summation. It has been clinic- clinical and calculated in planning for a World Cup in something that Ireland has failed to do. And because the country had so much faith in Jay Schmidt, that that led them down a path to the 2019 World Cup where it was quite obvious to outsiders that Ireland were just not up to it. But within Ireland, no one saw that. And now, you know, Andy Farrell, to his great credit, has acknowledged that, has seen it and has changed. So that's the first thing. So Ireland are on track. Second part of that is what the Wallabies are doing is returning to their DNA. The, The way they're playing is Australian rugby. That's the way we were brought up. It's the way we play. It's being who we are as Australian rugby players. I remember I took a drop goal at Coogee over one day and it went over and I got booed. You got booed. (laughs) If you kicked the ball, you got booed. You got called a coward. And that's what they were calling. We went back and we got a point ahead and they're calling, you're scared, aren't you? scared are not you you are scared. It wasn't a great drop goal, but it wasn't that bad. (laughs) But that's the attitude you're brought up with. That's the way. We played, and we went away from that. We started trying to be New Zealand. And no, you can't be someone else. You've got to be yourself. And this is why, again, come back to Andy Farrell, the philosophy that Andy Farrell is following with the national team is Ireland. It's creative. It's expansive. It's positive. That reflects the national character. And Australia returning to that, and I, I, all power to them. I, I, I'm really proud of the way they're playing. They're not They're not a great team, and not, I don't think they're capable of doing too much at the World Cup. But you can't accuse them of not giving everything they have, and they are. And, you know, if you coach a team like that, you've got to be proud of them. And you can see that up-and-down performance means that, that that, that this isn't a classic wallaby side. But if they get it right on the day, the way they play, they can disrupt anyone in the world, as they proved at the Stade de France. You're right. This is great for Ireland. It's great to test themselves. But here's the other part of it. Ireland are red-hot favourites. Ireland are red hot favourites for this game and Australia are underdogs and Ireland have to adapt to that. They have to go to World Cups being favourites and win. They didn't do that in Japan. They lost to Japan and that cost them so, so much. You, you know, you talk about the same thing with Argentina. They, they should have beaten Argentina that And I I reject all other statements about injuries and so on. That's part of World Cups. You've got to deal with that and and Great teams that go on deal with injuries to key players and move forward. So this is a really a really good test for Ireland because Ireland have got to be sitting back in their hotel and their planning rooms with the coaching staff saying we're not sure which gold team is going to turn up here. We're not we're not sure if it's going to be the one in the Stade de France or the one in Sydney that were horrible against South Africa after the week before they were brilliant against South Africa and Adelaide. So no one knows. So that's going to put pressure back on Ireland, and, and that is a really healthy thing in their progression towards the World Cup. And the last bit of that, Jude, I'm not just saying this because of my accent. accent. I, I really want Ireland to win at the next World Cup. I really do. A loss won't do between now and the next World Cup won't do Ireland any harm. And a loss in a, in a, in a tournament that means nothing, the November internationals means nothing, wouldn't be the worst thing. Now, I don't think that's going to happen. I think Ireland will win. But I'm just saying that that all of this is adding up to the process of getting to lifting the William Webb Ellis Trophy in October next year. That's what this whole process is about.
2: On the Wallabies, Matt, when you talk about the the Australian character, and I guess another aspect of Australian character when it comes to any sport is they want to win. Um, And there's been talk of of Dave Rennie wanting his contract to be extended. Um, Now, if they were to lose to Ireland on Saturday night and then lose to Wales the following week, you're looking at a at a win percentage this year of less than 29, which mm. which is very poor for an Australian team. Now it's ten months out from a World Cup, and maybe there aren't any obvious replacements for Dave Rennie. Is that what is that what's essentially keeping the conversation away from his job? The fact that you know if they were to lose to Ireland and Wales, it doesn't look good in you know ten months away from a World Cup.
5: You know, really, and and. and you know, I, 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 uh, Shannon, I really respect the question. I, I, I'm not being not disrespectful to the question. Problems with Australian rugby have nothing to do with our national coach. Problems in Australian rugby are deeply systemic and have been put in place by shocking administrative decisions over 20 years. Since we, we made the final of the World Cup against England in 2003, they had 20, I think 40 million in the bank. They've gone to bankruptcy last year, the very, very brink of bankruptcy last year. The numbers in the men's 15-a-side game have ruptured. Uh, the quality of our coaching has deteriorated up until the last 18 months, two years. There's been some changes, but all of that, every every national coach depends on the system below them. And uh, Australian rugby is has been on the deck, on the floor, knocked out. Now we've got some good administrators, some good people come in in the pandemic. The pandemic was a bit of a purifier, if you like. It, it, they, they, it, it put a, a, a blaze through the organisation and killed off some of the stuff that needed to be killed off. And what's left behind, they're building on. And Dave Rennie, you know, in my opinion, has done a great job. He's brought in a, a number of good Australian coaches, and like Dave's a New Zealander. He's handled himself magnificently, unlike other New Zealanders that have come into the Australian system where they basically just tried to make us another province of New Zealand and that just doesn't work. They've also done a lot of work on trying to re-establish club rugby in Sydney and the numbers coming to the games to watch and play are better. But we are just off the deck. We're we're nowhere near, Australian rugby is nowhere near the powerhouse it was 20 years ago when I left, 22 years ago when I left. That's been really hard for me to watch. And constantly all along that process, no-one is pointing the finger or looking at what needs to be done, which is long-term strategies to rebuild the game financially, technically, uh, it, the coaching of our players at a, at a very young age. I'm talking at 15, 16, 18. I'm not talking about at professional level, at sub-professional level, which is what Ireland have done so brilliantly in the last 20 years. You know, what, what Ireland have, have completely changed since I arrived in 99 is how they, they educate their young players. So they're arriving at the professional level, really rounded and, and well-educated players. Um, it, you only have to look across the Australian out-halves and their age bracket to see what's occurred. So you've got a, a Foley, Quade Cooper and a Connor all in their early to mid-30s. So that means it's it's 18 years ago when they were getting coached as 15-year-olds. And what's happened since then? It, it, it's fallen off a cliff. And and that's the problem. So that so the the Australian media constantly. Oh, it's the coach. It's the coach. It's the coach. So the coach is leading Australia, are leading France with forty seconds to go, uh, a minute to go. That's not the coach. That's the players. Australia playing, leading New Zealand with a few seconds to go. That's not the coach. That's the players, and it's the decision making process of the players. I certainly hope Dave stays. I think there's some really good young Australian coaches coming through, and I, again. They wouldn't select and develop young Australian coaches for for years. They brought in New Zealanders. I wouldn't have had the life I had if Australian rugby didn't give me a go and didn't appoint me as an assistant coach to some really wonderful uh, coaches who mentored me, who taught me, who gave me their knowledge, passed on their intergenerational knowledge to me and gave me the opportunity to do what I've done. Now, that was stopped for 15 years. They were not given young Australian guys who had done their yards at club level and so on like you've got to do, giving them the opportunity to show what they had. And and we're paying the price just as Ireland is reaping the rewards for what they've done. So, you know, you, you have to look. I, mean, I always say international rugby teams are like breweries, you know. It's, it's like you've got, to, you've got to grow the hops and you've got to have good water and you've got to have smart people that – That blend it and make it together, then have it be patient while it all brews up and it comes through, and then you get a good pint. You know, like that pint's taken a long time to happen. It's the same with international teams. If you don't coach kids well and you don't have a strong system, sub international and sub professional, your professional team eventually, eventually is going to suffer, and that's what we're seeing with Australian rugby.
0: You mentioned there about uh, defeat not being a disaster for Ireland. It clearly isn't. This game is not going to be something that um, you know unless something cataclysmic happens. We're not going to talk about this game beyond no. the next couple of weeks, uh, no. unless unless he he kind of goes for a, a left field selection and somebody gets a, a cap. But the the probable teams in the papers, which are generally very well informed, suggests yes. first choice pack, first choice half back yeah. partnership. McCluskey's going to get an opportunity. Jimmy O'Brien's going to get an opportunity. But everybody else is as it was. So we're going locked and loaded for this game. And they've obviously, they're weighing up the balance between continuing the momentum of winning versus giving somebody new the opportunity to become a bolter. We were talking about this earlier on. The the first fixture in the World Cup, Ireland, uh, Romania, Bordeaux, the 9th of September. We've one more game after this, really, where we might think experimentation is fair and that's the Italy game in the six nations. After that nothing else matters in terms of like oh we we we, we test somebody in the test environment and we see what they that, that's gone. That window's gone after this game this weekend. So um you know we we'll, we'll know next October if it was the right decision to pick the full team for this game. But now in this moment, what do you think is the right decision from an Ireland perspective?
5: Full time. Absolutely full time. That, that that's come that's why they had the aid program, Joe why Andy Farrell's really put a lot of effort in that A program. They've coached the A teams. They've given them a lot. They've given them quality games. Now it's going through. And, and let me tell you, Italy are five from six with Wales and Australia in under their belt. The, the work that Steve Abood did, uh, the, uh, you know, people who don't know Steve Abood, a fabulous Irish coach, went to Italy, set up an incredible academy system, probably the best academy system I've ever seen at international level. Um but again, that's taken five or six years for the, for those players to come through the system, so they're now part of the national team and they're winning. So Italy are no longer, I, I believe that the pushovers that they, the, they they were for far too long in the six nations. I, I, I definitely think that they, you could carry one or two players. like I think the selection that we'll see there uh, on Saturday, as you say, the papers are usually pretty right because the national team look it to them, people the journals on side, so that they... I think that's a good selection. This is... you know, And, and again, what, what is Andy Farrell seeing? This is an Australian team that's beaten Argentina, beaten um, South Africa, and should have beaten New Zealand and France. So they're not to be trifled with. They're not to be trifled with. And it's also a great opportunity for this team to learn what it's like to come out being favourite. So I, I think it's definitely you've got to go with, with your, your number one team through this and just see, see how it goes. Because the next part of that is if you put in weaker players and against an Australian team, what do you actually gain? The only thing you can gain is put some of these guys on the bench and bring them on. But I, I don't agree with that. I think Australia, Australia is, is a team that deserves respect of a full national side, and I think that's what they'll do, and I, and I do think that's the right thing.
2: And Matt, the the news this week emerged that Andy Friend is to leave Connacht at the end of the season. I know he's someone you're you're very close to. Um, I'm right in saying you would have kind of worked with him at the at the Waratahs in, in the '90s. Like this is a guy who has done seriously, seriously good things for Connacht since he came on board in 2018. He'll be he'll be missed big time from Irish rugby.
5: Yeah, look, uh, Andy's a great bloke. Um, uh, had a beer with him ooh, last six nations. Um, and like he, he'd sort of indicated to me that he was going to finish this year. Um, you know, he's got family, he's grown up, grown up children back in Australia. And, you know, he, he's been on, like me, he's been on the road a long time. And, and I think he's looking forward to getting home and, and being, uh, being closer to his kids. So, Leanne, he's a great, he's a great person, number one. I, I, we, I started him out. We came on with me when we were at the Waratahs. In we were, we were trying to figure out the year. We think it was '98. We're pretty certain it was, but we worked together at the Australian Institute of Sport. Before that, as what they call satellite coach. So I've known him for a long, long time. Fabulous person. You know, again, a man brought up the same as me, running rugby, get the ball in hand. This is how you do it. The quality of his person, of of, of his character, has has rubbed off on that Conat uh, kind of organization. Yeah, he'll he'll be missed, but but he's going to leave a legacy there, and that legacy will be built on. And um, you know, season's not over for Andy, but but I, I think he's got a little camper van he's looking to uh, travel around Europe in there and enjoy a little bit of the sights of Europe before he heads back to Canberra. But uh, he's had a great career, and and, and will leave Conat in, in really good stead.
0: I, I presume in it, in Australia he'll get a, a job in rugby as well. That the experience that he's garnered in this part of the world will stand him in good stead on a CV.
5: Look, one, I don't know if Andy wants that. Uh, he's, we didn't talk about that, so you know, possibly. But but it's it's also really just really hard to go back to where you've been. Um, you know, once once I was Waratah coach, I knew that was over, and Sydney's my home. So there's only one professional team in Sydney, and Andy's been Brumby's coach. So it's really hard to go back into an organisation where you've been. And, and I was at the Waratahs Warr- for ten years, and I think Andy on and off was was at the Brums for eight or so. It's a tough one. Whether you go back into an academy system or do something like that, I don't know if he wants to do that. But uh, look, Australian rugby would be very, very uh, silly to not utilise his experience. Australian rugby's done some really dumb things in the last 20 years, mate, I can tell you, and they've thrown away so much intergenerational coaching knowledge. It's just heartbreaking. So I, I, I don't know on every front, but would he be a great asset? Within, within a system there, 100%, 100%. I always say coaches, coaches are at their best after five or six contracts because you've made all your mistakes, you've done all the dumb things, but that's when you usually get pumped out the other end and they bring in a young guy who's going to make all the same mistakes that you just made on the way through instead of having bringing back in that intergenerational knowledge. And that's what I meant. When I was coming through, we were still amateurs. So we had guys, you know, I had Bob Templeton who'd been a wallaby coach in the 70s, Dave Brockoff, wallaby coach in the 70s, uh, Bob Dwyer won a World Cup in 91, you know, John Conley, great Queensland coach, went on to be a wallaby coach. These were guys I, I worked for and were mentors of mine that passed on that knowledge you can only get by being in the trenches. It's And, and they'd come and watch your games and talk to you and ask you questions. And, you know, it's quite humbling because <laughs> – you had to admit your failures, but that's what you've got to do. You've got to stare your failures right in the eye, embrace them, love them, learn from them, and keep going and have a lifelong love of learning. And that is one of the big reasons that uh, Australian coaches haven't come through because they haven't had a mentoring system that we had, even though it was informal, that we had. So someone like Andy going back into it would would be absolutely wonderful. But again, I don't know that he wants to do that. You know, that's It takes its toll on you and he may want to step right away from it and just enjoyed being part of the family, I'm not sure. But, yeah. but again, that, that is a problem with Australian rugby that we are seeing. Now, Now, having said all these things with Australian rugby, I do believe things are changing uh, uh, in Australia. I, we have very, very good chairman, a very good CEO. Um, we have an, uh, we've appointed some really good young Australian coaches to the Waratahs in particular, Darren Coleman, another guy I worked with uh, many years ago. Darren's been a, done a fantastic job rebuilding them up. Um Dan McKellar's assistant coach with the the, uh, Wallabies was around the Brumbies. Stephen Larkham gone back into the Brums. Um, You know, there's a lot of pluses going on in Australia, but we're coming from a long way down, and there has to be a lot of work done sub-professional level. That's where the real work needs to be done, and we haven't got a lot of resources to put into that because the financial – Irish rugby made $5 bucks. Australian rugby was, was close to bankrupt 12 months ago so it's it's a very very different scenario in Australia to what it is uh, here in Ireland
0: Matt enjoy the game this weekend great to have you with us thanks
5: looking forward to it guys see you now
0: it's, uh, Matt Williams there always interesting range of different thoughts I think Andy Friend's legacy is uh, cemented in kind Connacht of, like oversaw the transition and the recovery from the,
2: the previous regime and just gave him the sense of ambition mm. like the things he's done that he's just changed the way and, and even the academy and the players he's given debuts to was it 50 odd players he's given debuts to that's his legacy. Like, there's a lot of young players there in the Connacht system at the minute that are going to be like, "Yeah, Andy Friend, give me that chance." So, hopefully, some of those emerge onto the international scene in the coming years as well. So, what a legacy is left behind? Big o-
0: miss. OTBAM brought to you live with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mo. You can sign up or donate now at Movember.com. Here's what we got on OTB Sports Radio for you today. Uh, OTB Gold at one o'clock is Jason Sherlock. Our leaders' questions with Stuart Lancaster at three. Our retro panel: How far does doping go? Is four o'clock and OTB Gold is the Wexford 1956 team. Uh, Follow OTB across all our social channels and subscribe to the OTB Podcast Network for all the best and latest sports content. On the show tomorrow, Shane's in the hot seat. The 42 is Gavin Cooney, a special co-host, before he heads off to Qatar. Alan Quinlan will be here, as always, with Build Up to Ireland against Australia and plenty more besides. OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent moves.